Serum Visions is a Magic the Gathering podcast about iterative brewing. Each episode, we work on a project, a deck, strategy, or archetype that we think has room for exploration and brew to the fringes of competitive deck building. In this episode, we follow up with the results from our leagues with Monastery Mentor, check in on any Urza brews, and after that, we open the books on our next project, Project Prison. The Prison Archetype is a highly polarized, time-honored archetype with many avenues for exploration. In this episode, we'll look at the history of the Prison Archetype in multiple formats, look at what tools and techniques are used to lock an opponent out, and brew up some spicy new Prison decks for testing. Have a sip of your Blink Moth Tonic and open your third eye. This is Serum Visions. Welcome to episode three of the Serum Visions podcast, coming to you from inside a prison cell of my own creation. I am one of your hosts, Brian Madden. Joining me on the line is a man who drinks deep from the chalice of the void and laughs in the face of lattice locks, Arun Singh. How are you, Arun? I'm doing very well. You know, the weather's kind of nice again. I was afraid that the wildfires had stolen our last good week of summer because it was really hot, but then you couldn't go outside because you couldn't breathe the air. But, you know, it's been like 80s, mid 80s this week. Got the got to go to the plot, get my huge bumper crop of tomatoes. I think one plant probably produced close to 30 pounds, which is kind of nuts. Uh, we have a giant pile of tomatoes. You can probably kind of see it actually uh, sitting there. It was, I think I've given away 10 pounds and used like 20 pounds and there's still like that pile there. Uh, so, but overall, you know, things wow. are going pretty well. Can you know, no real complaints so far. Yeah, that's awesome. We uh, unfortunately had a little bit of the smoke move back in for us down here in Santa Cruz uh, today, but otherwise it's also been pretty nice down here. Uh, Also joining us is a man who communicates via secret messages carried on the backs of pack rats through cell block walls. Zach Ryle, how are you, Zach? I'm all right. I, uh, I think some of my messages are not getting out of my pack rats. Jeremy has had a hard time getting my booze orders back to me. I don't know if they, I don't know if they, maybe it's, maybe this is payback from Prohibition where we were uh, running whiskey down to the States. Maybe the States has cut me off or maybe uh, Jeremy the rat is just stumbling back to me for uh, a other suspicious reason. I mean, he seems pretty coherent when he comes down to pick up the booze. So if he's not making back to you, I I don't, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's it's been great up here. Um, I've been uh, I've been doing some some fun culinary experiments, which I'll get into uh, describing some of them at the end of the episode for uh, for on our way out. But uh, it's been a marvelous time moving into fall. I was talking about last time uh, how chilly it was, and boy was I wrong because the temperature dropped another like I don't know, ten Celsius or or forty or twenty twenty freedom units um, in the last week or so. Uh, we just, ooh, we really hit that cold snap, and all of a sudden I had to uh, go out for a run with uh, actual, like, pants on. Oof, how awful. I, I <laughs> uh, pants. Now, I'm, yeah, I'm looking for forward to the uh, the fall chill. I, I don't like being too warm, and it's been pretty hot here lately, so. My aversion to treadmills means that I'm one of those, like, crazy people you'll see with, like, five layers on and a, and a beanie. 
uh, running around in the middle of winter because I refuse to run on a treadmill indoors. It's awesome. It's awesome. Outdoors are good for you. Yeah, yeah, it's not too bad. Get some fresh air uh, and uh, then head back inside where we can play a little Magic the Gathering safely online, <laughs> which has been which has been wild and wacky. Brian, yeah, uh, want to tell us? Well, you know, things are feeling a bit wacky. Um, I I haven't had a whole lot of time for leagues in, in the past two weeks, but I did get a couple in. I saw a lot of taxes. Uh, I saw a lot of Scourge of the Skyclaves running around, definitely a lot of new cards. Um, but yeah, some things that I wasn't quite expecting. Uh, I wasn't expecting Prowess to fall off like it seems to have, and I wasn't expecting to see so many Taxes decks. Uh, Arun, I think you've been running into uh, some of these things in the leagues too. Why don't you uh, give us a little bit of a meta breakdown? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I feel like Modern's a little whack right now. Like it's, I mean, it's kind of fun and whack, but... You know, there's all these, the prowess is a little bit falling off, but replacing them, you have this new black-red uh, shadow prowess, you know, uh, Scourge of the Skyclave hybrid list, uh, which is, you know, just super nasty because they've got the disruption from shadow decks plus the clock of uh, prowess plus, you know, uh, shadow plus uh, the Skyclave Scourge. I've had a, been having a bunch of issues with that. And the other big thing is, you know, and, and Zach actually got to play. I just watched him play something pretty interesting. These new modal dual face land cards that enable oops all spells and Belcher. And those decks are just like very difficult to interact with because, you know, they were never ever meant to exist in Magic until these cards that nobody accounted for came out. Uh, and otherwise, I've also, like you said, I've been seeing a lot of Taxes decks too. Uh, you know, those are interesting. I mean, I think. I think it's pretty okay to have taxes. You know, it's kind of like a high variance, just like punish your unfair deck deck. I think that's pretty okay. But yeah, I mean, you know, just I've been kind of getting crushed in the queues a little bit, playing my strange things. And so I think I just need to, you know, modern power level seems to have been amped up big time with this new Zendikar set. And so I think I'm going to try and play a little dirty and get on in the mud with everybody else. Yeah, well, before we hop into um, just describing some of these competitive tournament um uh, outcomes some of the decks that have been you know top aiding and uh, doing particularly well uh, I will say that like we're going to touch on these things but there are new uh, linear busted combo decks and I don't know about you but uh, I had there was a young player at my LGS uh, he had to be like 11 or 12 and I'll tell you he was always just fascinated he was spiky, but he was also kind of a Timmy. He wanted to he wanted to play a deck that wins, but he wanted to play a deck that wins. It just like crushes his opponent. So he played every Grizzlebrand deck um, that he could get his his little hands on from time to time. And uh, this is the kind of thing that I, I I think it's just it's very vogue right now. There's very there's a lot of um, different versions of these decks that just sort of like combo kill you on turn two or three or four. Um, and I think it's filtering down into the leagues that like people are seeing them in the competitive tournaments and saying like, oh, that looks like a lot of fun. I, I, I got to play this thing. I don't think they're as good as we're seeing the numbers of them. Um, I think they're, they're probably pretty fragile, but it's just that like people aren't ready for it. Just like, and we'll, we'll touch on this a little bit later, um, last week it was all the mill decks. Mill was way easier to solve. Um, than these decks are. 
these decks took the took people an extra week, week and a half to sort of figure out, figure out, and for the list to proliferate. But uh, the mill decks were like all over the place in the last little while, and you'll actually see in these competitive tournaments a lot of people um, having nods to to the fact that mill is a real part of the metagame. Um, at the moment in their in their 75 so let's uh hop into the the first modern challenge that i put down here uh the top eight looks kind of kind of typical with a few standouts so the top eight in order is black red prowess jund death shadow uh, zorius spirits amulet titan then white green heliod ballista infinite life combo so it's sort of oops all white green combo creatures uh we have tron it's, I, this was close to the only Tron deck I saw in any of these competitive tournaments over the weekend, that I, the results I was looking at. Uh, in seventh place, we have the, the Belcher deck that I just played on stream. Uh, and in eighth place, Neobrand. So you can see th there's a lot of very fast combo decks. And then a deck we haven't seen in a long time is Zorius Spirits. Um, and Jun Death Shadow and Black Red Prowess all sort of fall into the camp of being like very disruptive, very fast, aggressive decks. Um, that came out on top with just just the right mix of tools to exploit the fact that a lot of people were on these like bonkers, um, bonkers decks. And then I, I, I had a couple notes here for some of the other um, interesting uh, decks in this uh, in this challenge, such as the fact that um, that the and it's like the only Etron deck that I saw on the whole weekend was in fifteenth place uh, in this challenge. So Etron has really fallen from grace here. Uh, um, any particularly interesting decks here that you guys like to uh, well, talk about? I do want to mention that I've actually I've seen a couple of Azorius Spirits in the League and Band Spirits too, and I think you also uh, ran into one in your Belcher League. I did. And I think the big thing that Spirits is seeing a resurgence due to that, uh, the one white-white 2-2 two, two that exiles something and then gives, you, uh, gives them an illusion back. Skyclave Apparition. Yeah, yeah. That card is crazy good. I think is also one of the reasons why the taxes decks are kind of all over too. That card's kind of everywhere. Yep. And it feels pretty bad when they hit your Renin Six, and you know you're not going to get it back. Right. And then these these decks have main deck things like Mausoleum Wanderer, Spell Queller, and Thalia Guardian Thraben that uh, really mess with what a lot of these unfair decks are trying to do. Um, they just like very often find themselves completely unable to to execute their game plan. Uh, in twenty second place in in this tournament though. Um, and I saw it a little bit higher a couple weeks ago, is an Enduring Ideal deck with Lotus Blooms uh, and uh, Nine Lives Solemnity combo. So this is pretty, pretty wacky. Old school, baby. That one's spicy. Yeah, I, I like the look of this one a lot. I, I have considered, I've like put this in my Card Kingdom cart on a number of occasions and then uh -huh. talked myself out of purchasing the cards. But Don't this is it. this but is it's right up my alley. Tickets. It's so cheap. It's 51 tickets. What is the, what is the, what is, what is, Leyline of Sanctity is what, two-fifths of this deck's value? Yep. Come on, you need you need those anyway. <laughs> uh, uh, don't do it. Not worth it. You know, those, well, I mean, it's a cute deck, but it's, you know, it's, I don't know. I guess, I mean, it is kind of like prison combo, right? Like it combos and then grabs prison elements. So I guess maybe we can talk about it more. Uh, but I don't know. Yeah, not, yeah. It's not it definitely not my worth touching style. on later. Yeah. 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 I mean, it certainly is a sort of prison light. Uh, yeah, maybe. To, maybe. Uh, yeah. And then um, Five Color Elementals was in there. Yeah. Um, 
not too much to say that has changed about that deck other than the fact that they're playing an Omnath. Uh, no, they're playing the Teamer Omnath, so that, that's what they were playing before. So yeah. they're not playing any copies of the new Omnath, uh, which is not particularly surprising because the Elementals deck is a pretty low land count. They're not really able to um, take advantage of it. So that was the one challenge. Then the very next day, which I think this is the Sunday challenge, winner of that one, Orizov Stoneblade, better known as Dead Guy Ale, um, which is what? Ha, ah, <clears throat> ha. Oh, oh, look Don't who understand it is. how that happened. Skyclave Apparition. Yeah, and Tide Hollow Sculler. Oh, um, yeah. And second place, Matt Sugan, on uh, similar to the Belcher list of the previous day. And then this is a deck that I ran into in my league earlier today. This is, uh, I saw Canister was playing it in a tournament, in one of these tournaments. Uh, this is what we're going to refer to as, yeah, Oops All Spells. Um, I, 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 uh, this is uh, Venge Spy is going to be what I refer to it as because they've got uh, Undercity, Informer, and Balustrade Spy, uh, each of which for four mana um, is able to mill your entire library into your graveyard. Um, at this point, you're going to hit uh, multiple copies of Narcomiba into your graveyard as well as a few copies of Creeping Chill, uh, but also Sword of the Meek. And why Sword of the Meek? Well, your Narcomiba's coming back into play triggers your Sword of the Meek. You get three Sword of the Meek. Then you sacrifice your Sword of the Meek to uh, return Scrap Trawler. No, sorry, Salvage, Salvage Titan. So Salvage Titan, for those who don't know it, and I know Jiggy does, but <laughs> for those who don't, it's four black black, and it says you may uh, sacrifice three artifacts rather than pay Salvage Titan's mana cost. You can also remove three artifact cards in your graveyard from the game to return Salvage Titan from your graveyard to your hand. So you are able to remove other artifacts in your graveyard to return it to your hand. Then you sacrifice your three swords. This is your second creature spell of the turn, which allows your four Vengevines to return and kill your opponent. So this deck basically flips itself over and hits you with uh, two to four creeping chills and two to four venge vines uh, for the low low cost of four mana. So uh, and that is once again enabled by all of the cards in Zendikar Rising that are the uh, modal double faced cards that are lands on one side and spells on the other, enabling you to play zero lands in your main deck. So that that was second place in that challenge, uh, and then following that uh, in third place is Amulet Titan. Fourth place is. Uh, Black, blue, red, green, Uro pile. Fifth place, Urian Nivtalite with Omnath, Stoneforge Mystic, and Ice Fang Quaddle. And I don't know if anyone listening knows anything about me, but this deck, I'm in love. God of Slaughter. I I I have no words. Ice Fang's back. Yeah. Renin Six, Teferi Time Raveler. It's all here. <laughs> all of your greatest hits in one list. This deck looks kind of amazing. You know, I haven't even like seen any chatter about this. I know like on the Niv Discord, especially uh, Wusa and Mordecai, you know, have been messing with some pretty wonky things. Like every once in a while, oh, throw in Stoneforge Mystic, see what happens. You know, like Omnath Locus Creation is nuts in the in Ren and in, uh, Five Color Niv, but like, you know, I don't know. I haven't seen any chatter on Discord about this list. I should probably ask about it. I didn't even know it did so well. This list is so sick, honestly. Like, holy crap, Stoneforge, Ice Fang, 4 and 3 Teferi. It's interesting, like, in terms of standard Niv list, it's pretty light on the Abrupt Decay and Assassin's Trophies. It's got four Guiles. Yeah, I mean, 
Ford, Bonnenberg, Ford Utopia Sprawl. I mean, this this list looks sick. Yeah, it, it, it is very much, it really looks like someone took a 60 card uh, Niv deck and a 60 card um, like um, Bant Snowblade deck and just smashed them together. Yep. Um, for the most part, it, it's so strange. Like Ice Fang Quaddle in Niv decks is just, has not been a thing basically ever. <laughs> um, and they've got three copies of the new Omnath, which the new Omnath in a Niv, Niv deck makes complete sense. Oh yeah, um, it, it's nuts. You can bring to light for the Omnath, then play a fetch land, crack it, and have almost enough mana to cast a Niv or another bring to light. Or you can cast the Omnath, play a fetch land, crack it, and, and have enough for a bring to light. Like, that's, that's wild. That's so wild. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, so there, there's some nutty sequences there, and I, I have to play this deck. I'm so upset I didn't see this uh, earlier. But, uh, yeah, wild, wild stuff. And then rounding out that top eight is, uh, is it Prowess? The finally seeing the, the blue-red babe. Um, Mardu Burn with main deck um, Scourge of the Skyclaves and Bump in the Night. So this is true Mardu Burn. It's, it's not um, red-white Luris Burn that's, like, splashing black for, like, one card somewhere. No, no, no. This is a Mardu Burn list with Scourge of the Skyclaves and Bump in the Night. And then in eighth, uh, Devoted Druid combo. So another green-white combo deck that can go off very, very quickly. So, I mean, th that's a completely bonkers top eight. And not, not just because it's devastating linear decks, but these weird control mid-range value piles <laughs> it's it's funny to see go from a uh, super combo heavy tournament one day to a uh, value mid-range pile meta the next day I, I guess that's an indication that modern is healthy uh, there's no clear best thing to be doing yeah i would i would say it's also um th there's a lot of grinders online who pay very close attention to the tournament the day before to make informed decisions on what they want to register for the next day. So perhaps there was a reaction of people seeing like, okay, people are playing these busted linear decks. I, I better make sure that I'm ready for it. Um, and uh, in, in uh, 11th place, I want to highlight that there is a uh, mono white death and taxes, uh, which is listed as having a green pip on it on uh, goldfish. And that is for the one of Gaia's blessing in the sideboard. So, um, for anyone who's not aware, there is a line on Guy's Blessing that says, uh, when Guy's Blessing is put into your graveyard from your library, shuffle your graveyard into your library. Uh, this is anti-mill tech. This hoses uh, the mill deck pretty thoroughly unless they have a surgical extraction ready to go at that exact moment. Um, you still get that trigger, by the way. So, even if they surgical your one of Gaia's Blessing, you got to shuffle your entire graveyard into your library, which may buy you enough time to win the game, especially when you're slowing them down with things like Thalia um, and Leonin Arbiter. So, um, and there are things like Eldrazi Titans, um, usually the 10 CMC Kozilek um, in the sideboards of some of these bigger control decks. Um, the Uro Piles are almost uniformly playing uh, our of uh, Promise and multiple copies of Field of Ruin in them. So there's been a shift in those decks a little bit. Um, and then uh, we see a motley crew of other either aggressive disruptive decks like humans um, or some busted linear decks. There's a Jeskai Ascendancy in 12th place. Um, there's <laughs> an Ad Nauseum floating around. Yeah, I mean, it's the Wild West, baby. 
I mean, I just I just got to shout out one two two Pablo on Just Guy Ascendancy. He has like been playing this deck for years, and like you just click on his thing on MTG Goldfish and just like crazy, you know, just trophies and doing well in challenges and just like years back. It's kind of wild, actually. Occasionally, uh, you know, it's like oh, like I want to try being some slightly degen, so I'll just find his most recent list. Uh, and you know, it it's a fun deck, but it's way too much clicking for me. And you know, I'm pretty good with clicking. I do a lot of clicky decks, uh, but Jeskai Ascendancy is a whole nother beast. But still, shout out to Pablo122 for like always killing it with Jeskai Ascendancy. Yeah, it's cool when people have that, that pet deck. And then in uh, 30th place, we've got a neat little uh, mono white hammer time deck. Um, uh, and then the, the prelim for the next day, I'm really not going into any detail. Um, I have it linked in the show notes, but it, it is once again just showing this incredible diversity. I mean, there's really a very tiny repetition in any of these deck lists, um, with the exception being that, like, Uro Piles as a group are probably the most played decks, but they're very um, diverse. They, they splash a lot of colors. They have a lot of different cards. And when we look at the, the top eights, they're not really taking up a lion's share of them at all. Um, even the top 32s, they're really... They're, they're most represented, um, but only by a couple percentage points, I think. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, love to see the diversity. It means that we can get in with some of our brews and uh, not feel quite so bad. Although uh, this week may be a little bit tougher to brew, I suppose. It's probably a little bit easier to brew a prison deck when you have a, a narrower meta game that you can target. But we'll get into that when we, uh, we start talking brews. Uh, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll do a little product, uh, project update and talk about uh, Project Mentor and even a little bit about Project Urza. All right, welcome back. Uh, so last week was the start of Project Mentor and uh, we came up with some mentor brews to take through some leagues. Um, I guess I'll kick it off with uh, some of mine. Um, I don't know what came over me, but I decided to uh, run through a league with uh, in Pioneer with Mentor, even after my own messaging that Mentor was probably as good <laughs> as a dead card uh, in Pioneer, given the lack of free spells and other supporting tools. And uh, sure enough, that was that was basically how I felt about it. Um, I played a Mardu build. Uh, it had, you know, Mentor and Dreadhorde Arcanist, Young Pyromancer, Luris, a uh, slew of one drops. It basically looked a lot like some of the Rakdos lists that have been popping up in Pioneer, Pioneer recently. Um, it was not a great league. I do, yeah, I do want to mention. I remember just like being in Discord when you were telling us about how terrible the league was going and how, you know, even when the deck was doing well, it still took like you were ahead on the board, but it still took you like eight turns to win. And I mean, come on, like you're playing like Mardu Grindfest. Just like, what really were you expecting? Like, this yeah. Is, that, that's what Mardu does, you know, it just like wins really slowly. And even if it's got the board position, it's just do, 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 like slowly. Yeah, I don't know. You know, sometimes I, I see these cards and they look so appealing together and then I start playing with them and, you know, I don't know. There's there's only so many times you can cast a shock wishing it was a lightning bolt before you <laughs> throw up your hands in frustration. Um, 
Yeah. So th- that league ended poorly. I went 1-4. Uh, almost all of the matches went to three games and, and felt like they could have gone my way. But, um, you know, top decking was the name of most of the games. And uh, it, it just, it, they all dragged, you know. Uh, I think that the, uh, the, the prolonged matches were not good for my psyche and probably contributed <laughs> to my losing. Yeah, there's a lot of pioneer decks that like also can go way over the top of you like pretty easily. So it's a hard. Well, the funny thing is, I didn't even encounter any no. of those. I, I mean, it was it was like I I felt like I was facing the mirror for five matches straight, and I think that was the other part of the problem is they were incredibly boring. Neither of us could remove <laughs> the other's creature because you know we had. Uh, uh, the the single black spell to sacrifice your own creature and draw two cards. Um, village uh, rights. The name is yeah. escaping me right now. Village rights. Yes, village rights. So you know we're like both village rightsing our our own creatures in response to removal and drawing more cards so that we can village rights more creatures and nobody's attacking and nobody's doing any damage. Um, yeah, you know. I don't know. I, I think that part of the problem is that an early thought seize was usually pretty good, but it wasn't quite enough. Um, it was very clear that the games where I opened with thought seize went better than the ones where I didn't. But, you know, without like an inquisition or additional hand disruption, uh, you know, I don't think that the four thought seize is, is quite enough to power up that deck. Um, and then there was also a real tension when playing Arcanist because you want all these one CMC spells, but especially in Pioneer, most of these one CMC spells don't provide the two for one that you're looking for to pull ahead. Um, and so this is where I think you might have a little bit better luck in modern because, you know, you can play some spells with flashback or, you know, something that's going to give you a, a little bit more of an edge. Um, and I think relying on Arcanist to generate that extra value is great when it works, but the deck is super mopey when Arcanist wasn't on board. <laughs> you know, without getting those additional casts, it was just too mopey. So, you know, ultimately, I think that Grixis or Jeskai might be better here. Uh, Grixis gets away from Mentor, which was sort of the, the point. Um, but, you know, Blue is much better suited to to dig through the deck and, you know, kind of give you a little bit more velocity. Um, so yeah, I think that my initial analysis that mentor just doesn't cut it in, uh, in pioneer might've been correct, or, you know, maybe it needs to do what it did a little bit earlier in modern, which is act as a threat for a control deck. So then a question I have about this is, do you, are you, would you be interested? Like, do you personally want to pursue more mentor lists in pioneer? And if no, is it because of Mentor or is it because of Pioneer? Um, I would say probably no, and probably a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. I think that, you know, every time I find myself playing Pioneer, like I'm really attracted to it. It seems uh, really cool. And then I get into a league or I get into a game and I just wish that I was playing with higher powered modern cards. <laughs> I... I am one of the the people who likes fetch lands. I think that they have some really neat interactions, and I appreciate that they're um, uh, uh, an extra axis to the game in a sense. You know, there's it's like once you you understand what they can do for you, it's like your your world opens up, and there's now a whole other avenue to explore. Um, and I think that's really cool. So. 
yeah, uh, you know, I'm sure that I will dive back into Pioneer. I like repeating all of my mistakes over and over again, but I don't know that I would be uh, taking Mentor with me. I definitely know what you're talking about with Fetchlands. I freaking adore Fetchlands. I love I love Fetchlands so much. And I don't have any problem with Pioneer being the Fetchless format. The bigger problem I have with Pioneer, um, and I think it's a problem that, like, there's some legacy players that have this problem with Modern um, that you're describing is it's like, oh, well, it's not the Brainstorm Ponder format. Like, you got <laughs> Fetchlands, sure, but you, you don't have Brainstorm and Ponder. And then the other legacy players are like, yeah, nobody else has Brainstorm or Ponder for me to prey upon with my chalices. Uh, but, but the point I was really getting to is one of the things about Pioneer is that brewing in Pioneer is, is really, really difficult. Um, because compared to Modern, there's just like one... It's like a third of the card pool. But more importantly, that third of the card pool is so heavily dominated by cards in the last two years mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that it's very difficult to to um, to find like weird piles of synergy, um, some of which we're going to talk about later. But uh, th- there's so many decks in Modern that exist, and they're like, oh, yeah, they've got the two cards from Kamigawa block and the three cards from the Zendikar block and like something like Amulet Titan. It's just it's this amalgamation of so many cards from so many different blocks that all come together. I mean, the Primeval Titans from a freaking corset. This is not from any particular block. So uh, Pioneer just doesn't have enough cards, and a lot of the things aren't there because they're like, oh, we don't we don't design cards like that anymore. And some some of those things are great, like Blood Moon not being there, like uh, and Snaring Bridge not being there. Um, but no, I love those cards. But it's just nice to have that kind of different format. And the thing is, you have to play by their rules, and their rules make it like what, like it's just a lot narrower to to brew it. So I, I do enjoy playing Pioneer, but I mostly like playing very well established Pioneer decks when I when I choose to do so. Um, I'll have to try that sometime you know. then. <laughs> yeah, I, I would. I mean, it's it's a really cool format, and it looks like I'm just flicking through some Pioneer results here, and like there's a, an Oops All Spells deck. Oh boy. So. They they're they're they got it going on. They got everything happening here. So uh, Arun, you were you were the the the, the champion of the mentor. Oh um, yeah. And before I talk about my outing with mentor, what what did you get up to? Because it looks like you got up to a whole bunch. Oh yeah. I mean, I've been loving mentor. Been working with mentor for a while, and so I started. Uh, you know, I started with the Arayo list I mentioned last week. The Bantaraya, the plate Arayo repeal. Uh, Engine Explosives, uh, Four Mox Amber, Springleaf Drum, Kinnon, Uro, Emery, you know, just to kind of turbo out Arayo and hope you can escape Uro or just land a Mentor and go to town. I wound up, I played only one league with it. I wound up going 3 2. Uh, you know, it kind of exactly what I expected. I beat Ad Nauseam uh, because I had two turn two Arayo flips, uh, on the, once on the play, once on the draw. You know, pretty, pretty good. I beat Green Tron uh, and I beat White Taxes. Uh, once again, you know, like pretty much every, close to every game, you know, like by turn three or turn four, you'll have a Ryo flipped, which is a kind of a nice feature. Uh, the one kind of issue I ran into, though, like, for instance, I got pretty stomped by red, green, mid-range. Even with game one, I had a turn two flip Ryo on the play. Uh, but then, you know, I kind of stalled out and didn't find, couldn't, I couldn't really find a, well, I found a mentor, but they then they uh, wasted an Arbor Elf, then bolted. Didn't really get anything else. And then, you know, all you have to do is, like, 
Bloodbraid Elf. The Bloodbraid Elf gets countered. They cascade into Tlothis. And now I have to deal with the Tlothis when I'm a graveyard-based deck. And yeah, it's not... Tlothis has wrecked me. I got wrecked by Scooze. Scooze is also very good against all my decks. I hate Scooze. Uh, but, you know, just the power level of cards is so high in Modern that, like, all you have to do is, like, you know, some versus some decks, like the Taxes decks, it's pretty good. You flip Arayo and they have trouble because, you know, they have to start losing tempo and card advantage to power through the Arayo and you know like the best they can do is you know maybe a Stoneforge to get in a batter skull and it's like I don't care I have Uro you know this is great like yeah take your time take all the time you need you know that's great but against red green like red green midrange you know they've got Bloodbraid Elves they've got Seasoned Pyromancers they've got Tlothis they've got that stupid uh what is it the 5-5 five, five, the, no the 6-6 six, six for 5 that just like when you so once you untap with it you win Elder Gargaroth yeah that thing that thing is oh, brutal yeah. And then, yeah, you know, the so, thing is a beast. like, the end of that, you know, they just waste an arbor up, they resolve one of those things, then you're like, oh, <laughs> I feel pretty silly. Like, you know, this is probably not going to work out. And, of course, it doesn't work out. Uh, and then the other, let's see, choo-choo-choo. Uh, the other one I lost was Amulet Titan, where, once again, you know, I had an early Ryo flip uh, both games, and it felt pretty good. Uh, but then, you know, they just have to just ramp, count, cast one spell up. Uh, get a counter to resolve a titan and you're kind of sol so that's kind of you know and made me kind of realize the deck is fun but in order to facilitate flipping uh Arayo, you need to fill the deck with a lot of air and like <laughs> once you flip an Arayo, you know you're essentially your win cons are four Uro, four uh, uh four Uro, four mentor and yeah you know just like you have emery's to dig through your deck and mill and everything you have bobbles and some spheres chromatic spheres so like you can you've got pretty good velocity uh, but you know like you still you have to spend time doing that and you, you know all they need is one strong spell to get to your arayo but on um, overall i was pretty happy with the three two uh you know i mean i think i'm just gonna keep this like a fun deck i'll probably take to like fnm or something or you know like monday night modern i don't think i would actually take this at like a big tournament Although, you know, it is kind of fun to flip Arayo. Uh, and, yeah, but I, I, the other thing I want to mention is that Mentor and Repeal is, like, so sick. Like, there's so many times where I was thinking, like, I'm going to be in a lot of trouble. And you've got a Mentor in play and you draw Repeal. And you're like, wow, my clock just increased by, like, two whole turns. Like, it's crazy. So I do wonder if, like, there's a different shell here that maybe take out Arayo and take out a whole bunch of the fluff and maybe add in less fluff. But that's, you know, I'll probably get back to that in... Uh, who knows? But that's something else that'll I'll just keep stewing on my mind. Yeah, the the repeal shell that you're talking about. I mean, that's what we saw from the the list from MC Barcelona, right? Um, that was the two Cheerios decks that were running the, the mentor and repeal. So they're just powering through their deck with uh, all the the Cheerios and um, Pure Steel Paladin and Shram and. Yeah, so maybe that's the uh, that's the show you're looking for. I, I I did want to take that through a league. I just didn't get around to it. Um, been pretty busy a couple weeks, but maybe uh, maybe upcoming. Yeah. It's... No, and I I would say that uh, I I don't think you should abandon Rayo, but I think maybe instead of uh, mentor or or some of the other cards, you could either lean more into other prisony aspects um, to have redundant plans or, or plans mm. that overlap with that one um, or replacing mentor with some kind of different threat or, you know, Karn the great creator, one of our favorite cards in order to add sort of a, a toolboxy nature to the deck. 
Um, mm. Or just there's there's a lot of places to go because I I like hearing that you were able to quickly flip the Areo is like that seems really nuts. And even though your opponents were able to punch through it in a lot of cases, like they were able to punch through it to do like one thing. And I like I just feel like there's probably a lot of turns mm-hmm. being passed back mm-hmm. and forth. Yep, yep, yep. And so I, I think maybe there's something to do here. I mean, like you were you were you playing Emery in this deck? Can I, can I yeah. get a decklist link? Can we take uh, a second to yeah, uh, to delve into this for for a second? And oh yeah, take, this take a crack at this. So we got the the Turbo Oreo deck here. Let's let's take a look at this. I mean, I think. Pajama. Honestly, I think you're, you know, like, Prison Elements is a great suggestion to this. Karn sounds sweet. Well, because we, we already have a lot of the artifact shell here. Now, obviously, something like Chalice of the Void is probably a goofy idea. Yeah, no um, way. Because you're already countering the first thing they play. So you don't need Chalices or something like that because that will also counter the first mm-hmm. thing that they play. And then, in theory, it would counter the second thing they play, except they're going to, you know, play around that. Anyway, so... Um, but I'm wondering if we just get a better threat in there than Monastery Mentor. The other interesting thing about... to a different color? I could go for a different color. The cool thing is that, like, Repeal actually has amazing synergy with Arayo in that, like, when you bounce... If you have Arayo flipped and you have a Respire Repeal, you can bounce their, you know, their one-drop or whatever. And now, you know, it's, like, crazy tempo because then they have to recast it and then they have to... They're going to lose it and they have to play another thing. So Bounce works really well with just like Arayo's prison uh, element, which is something that I noticed, and I think we could also try and capitalize on. Yeah, maybe get some like Teferi Time Rivalers in here. Yeah, ooh, I like I like playing dirty, and Teferi plays really dirty. Yeah, and I'm wondering if like again we can get Karn, so we can go for the. Uh, this is not a, a this this deck doesn't have a huge amount of mana. Um, or were you finding that you are, you were hitting your like Mox Amber Kinnon setups pretty consistently? Oh yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, you know, just like three Kinnon. I found that in in the sixty card decks, you only want three Kinnon. Four is a little excessive, but you know, three Kinnon, four Drum, four Amber, uh, four Emery. You know that you get those explosive terms really turns really frequently. The mana was definitely never an issue. The issue was you know just drawing a whole bunch of <laughs> drawing. You know, Springleaf Drum is a terrible magic card. I love it, but like. You know, consistently in all these decks, what's the worst card in the deck? Like, oh, it might be Springleaf Drum. Yeah, I think it might be worth uh, addressing this this week, maybe, uh, as a variation of a prison deck where we can throw yeah. in some cards into this deck. Yeah, no, I, I think this is a great suggestion. You're like Brian, you had something? Yeah, uh, so I was going to say, if we're if we're countering the first spell that people are casting pretty consistently, then would it make sense to try to keep them empty-handed? So maybe we go into black, we get a bunch of discard spells and uh, hand disruption, just try and empty their hand mm. out as fast as possible so that mm. they can't ever cast their spell. Or, you know, I guess they can wait a couple of turns, but that gives you... Right, but one CMC discard spells are also a great way to try to flip your array mm-hmm. right? Like, oh, if you got a Rayo and a Springleaf Drum or a Chromatic Sphere with a Kinnon, like you can, you can use, you, you could weave in one CMC spells in a sequence, and things like Thoughtseize and Inquisition might work really well there. Even better, you Thoughtseize away all of their cheap cards and leave them with only the expensive stuff, so that they have to play that into the flipped Rayo. That sounds sexy. Can you imagine Thoughtseizing their good card and then flipping your Rayo on the same turn? Like how demoralizing to be on the receiving end. Right. Yeah, these are these are great ideas. I think this is definitely a route that we should pursue uh, for this episode. 
All right, and then moving on to the next, <laughs> before we get a little too deep in the one. So you then you switched over to your your four color, and then am I getting this right? Five color uh, mentor deck. And spoiler alert, I am getting this one right because this is the one I played this week. But what what did you, what, what happened to you first? Oh yeah, so then I kind of I've been messing with this, you know, kin and shell, and I went into four colors uh, to get mentor, and then. Uh, what was the black for? Actually, I don't quite remember what the black was for because I've been playing five colors for so long. It was it was for. Unearth. Oh yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it was, yeah. So a black for unearth because you know somebody had a turn one Embry. It, was it was it a it was a teamer cannon shell. Yeah. Right. And then you splashed into black for unearth and Luris. Yeah, because Luris is busted and unearth is also busted because you're right. playing you know like. Uh, you're playing chromatic spheres and you're playing Mishra's baubles and like you have a whole bunch of all your threats are like two CMC. So so okay, you know. And there's also it's very nice like you have an Emery, you get a Luris, and you have a Mentor out. You know, like you have the game's over in two turns. It's just very and they all have all these creatures kind of follow a theme, including Kinnan, where you have to kill each of these creatures. It's essentially just threat density. Where you know just like you play a Kinnan, they have to kill it or else you've got four extra mana. You play a Mentor, they have to kill it. You play a Luris, they have to kill it. You play an Emery, you, they have to kill it. You just have all these threats that just have to be killed or they're just going to run away with the game. Uh, with no, yeah, your, your opponent's trying to play uh, Wacken. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, they just keep popping up faster and faster. It's pretty sweet. And honestly, I loved the deck and it was a lot of fun. I took it into a league and just like, you know, round one, Green Tron. Uh, and we're actually like... I think it was an amateur Tron player, and they definitely stumbled. I like, didn't get Tron till turn four, and like didn't have the nuts, and so I was able to keep up actually both games, but you know just wound up not getting there because of course you know they, all they needed to top deck was an Ugin or an o, o Stone, and like game over. Uh, so I lost to Tron, but like it was pretty close, and I felt like I was only one or two turns off both games. Got paired against Ad Nauseam, uh, and then you know same concept where like the deck can play the board really fast. You can get like sometimes turn one, turn two mentor with a couple bobbles, and you know I've got like a turn three, turn four goldfish. But once again, just like one to two turns too slow for Ad facing Ad Nauseam, and then I face another Belcher and as my third one, and I just. I, you know, I read the signs that, okay, like, we probably need some sort of interaction, and then thinking about it, uh, I don't really know how I came up with this, except that I hate it when my opponents play Tide Hollow Sculler, and I'm like, oh, you know, like, we are already kind of five colors, uh, well, we don't, uh, so I'm just gonna, over every color except red at this point, uh, and like, oh, you know, just like, I want to play Tide Hollow Sculler, because it's an artifact with Emery Synergy, uh, and really cool. And then it's like, oh, you know, like I also sometimes I was kind of getting stuck on mana. And if we're in four colors, you know, why not just go to five and add the best two drop in modern, Renin Six? Uh, so I added three Renin Six in order to make all the mana base work together. I went with Glimmer Void because Glimmer Void is pretty sweet. Uh, I will say, <laughs> it you get blown out sometimes. Like, you know, it happens. You kind of you take your lumps and, you know, you, you, like, you know what you're playing when you play at Limmervoid. Like, sometimes it's just kind of fun to go turn one Limmervoid Springleaf Drum, be like, I dare you. And then sometimes they have, like, I faced Bluetron, and they went turn one, they uh, went uh, turn two, they repealed, they were on the play, and they repealed my uh, Springleaf Drum. Then I lost my Limmervoid, and I lost that match. Uh, so that was pretty brutal, but that's kind of the lumps you take. Uh, but this, uh, so I added Sculler, and I added Ren and Six, and honestly, I think the deck feels great, and I really enjoy it. The really interesting thing about Sculler is that it opens up some cool lines I mean like turn one Springleaf Drum, turn two Sculler into Emery uh, which is like 
pretty sweet line, like definitely gets you going well. Skuller was great in the in every matchup. Like I would never cut them except against the Culligan's command deck. Because even against humans, you know, I played humans, you cast Skuller, like you get to, the other information you get to see is great. You take one of their, like take their Reflector Mage, or like take their like Kudrith General, their uh, black one black white General Lord thing. General, General Kudra, I hate that card, that card. Uh, <laughs> Of I, I, I found I hate every card that messes with my graveyard, and you know, not not a surprise. Yeah, it's uh they've printed some good incidental graveyard hate and some good incidental life gain in the last couple of years. Yeah. So that that's been nice. But like, and then you know, like being able to mill, like just adding skull to the deck actually had made my artifact count twenty four, which is like kind of nuts and means your Emery's always gonna hit something, and so I actually wound up cutting down to two mentors for this and. The interesting thing that I found when I made all these changes is that adding Skuller kind of completely changed the playstyle of the deck, where before I had any interaction, I was always thinking, you know, like when I'm playing a game, like I want my mentor, just like I need to get a mentor down, I need to start going nuts, I need to get a clock down, I need to flood the board with threats, you know, it's kind of like these decks are like forward momentum personified in a deck, essentially. Like, you play to the board, you get your stuff down, and all these little synergies start to open up. You get a whole bunch of mana with Kinnon and Artifacts and Emery and Luris, and, you know, you just kind of overwhelm them, just always moving forward. But adding Skuller, what happens is, you know, A, you get to disrupt them. So, like, oh, if they have, you know, prevent them from getting their Tron, grab their Charbelcher. Uh, but the other thing I really liked is the information that you get, where, okay, like, you know what you need to play around. Like, you can sequence your plays better because you know what you have to do. So oftentimes you play a Skuller and you see, like, okay, you know, like, I don't actually want to play a Mentor right now. I don't need I don't need my Mentor to win this game because, you know, they don't have... What they have lines up well against Mentor, or, you know, like, I have more time to, like, do my thing. And so, you know, I really... This is... It's very interesting, and I'll talk about this a little more when we get to Project Urza. But adding the Scholars, I think, is the right call, as at least for now, with all these combo decks and non-interactive decks running around. But adding Scholar definitely made Mentor feel more weak, uh, which is kind of sad because I do love my Mentor. And like the Unearthed 2 definitely felt much not nearly as needed in this version as in the four-color version. Uh, so that was, you know, all very interesting. I'd say overall, I definitely, and you know, I love Ren 6. Ren, Ren 6 is the love of my life in Modern, and I will shoehorn it into any deck that I can. Right, but... Uh, that was one of the things I wanted to hit on is, like, do you really think Red and Six is, like, a good enough reason to be playing Red in this deck? I mean, that's the only thing you're really playing it for, right? Yeah, but, like, hitting hitting your land drops with this deck is important. And also, the other, I guess the other big reason is, like, A, it's a great Mox Amber enabler. That's mm -hmm. one. That's what I learned in the Temurkin and Shells. But the big thing is, like, a lot of decks just can't deal with Ren and Six plus Uro. Like, if you go turn two Ren and Six into a turn three Uro... Like, you know, you're just getting so much value over your opponent because you're getting land drops. You know, you're recouping your lands with Ren and Six. You're getting to play extra lands with Uro, and you're still drawing your extra cards. And you're still getting closer to exploring Uro because you're drawing closer to Emery and all these other cards. And so, you know, like, I've, I've won on Mulls to Four against decks where your four mm -hmm. is like Fetch, Fetch, Ren, Uro. And, like, you know, if, if it's a control deck and they don't have a counter for Ren or a way to deal with Ren and Six, like, you're probably going to win that game. And it's... It's kind of wild. So that is, I do love the Uro uh, Scholar engine. The other, or no, the Uro Ren and Six engine. I mean, the other nice thing about Ren and Six is that you can replay it with Luris. Was there was the other reason? And then it can plus and get back other lands you milled. So you know, it's not. It does have a little bit more synergy than just grabbing your fetch lands. But I do. I mean, I think you could argue whether or not it's value. I whether or not it's valuable. I would say it is because I love the card. I love the BD gen.
I think that the the value has gone up a little bit right now too with some of these taxes decks showing up, right? Like if people are playing Thalia, I definitely want something that can incidentally ping her down. If you're leaning into the Ren and Six, does it make sense at all to play uh, a one or two of the cycling lands? You know, just have that extra little axis to dig through your deck. I mean, you're milling stuff with Emery, so you might just put it straight into the graveyard, and then you can grab it if you need it. Uh, might yeah, not be worth well, I've it, got, but I think the death to consider. At least one, maybe two triumphs, depending how I'm feeling on that day, which kind of did the same thing. They're a little slower, but in general, especially with Ren and Six and Kinnon and Amber and Springleaf Drum, you definitely you have enough mana to make the three CMC cycling work. I would also, though, uh, suggest that, like, loyalty to Ren and Six and its ability to ping these little creatures aside, like, when we're seeing modern swing into that more brutal, linear, spell-based combo, you know, that that, that t- one top eight had Neobrand and the Belcher deck and a few others where it's like, I think he cut red entirely. And, like, not that it makes me happy to do it. It's gut-wrenching, but I'm just like, <laughs> I think... There's a lot of decks where it's like, you know what, we, we don't maybe need to be playing uh, the main deck Unearths, and we don't need to be playing Ren 6, so we can play a bit of Disruption or um, things that shore up the speed axis of the deck or some kind of interaction um, in order to beat up on those unfair decks. But again, you're going to, you are, I mean, you're not wrong. You're going to lose points against the fair piles. I just think that, like, that, suge- that situation you, you suggested with, like, oh, I've got two Feshlands and a Ren 6 and an Uro, I think a lot of these control decks are going to eat you alive if you keep that hand. Like, because they're going to keep a 6 or 7. They've got a very, very big range of keepable hands, and they're going to have, you know, Force of Negation or, or um, Spell Snare or Mana Leak if they're on the play, and, and you know, you're going to be really up a creek. Um, you're just oh, not going to yeah. be able to keep up, I mean, <laughs> and they're going to overwhelm you with uh, their, their Field of the Deads and stuff like that. Um, but that said, I did two leagues with your five-color mentor deck. Um, the second one was the one I actually took notes on. And I think one thing we definitely need to do is what we saw in that comp- in that challenge, which is we got to respect mill. Because I ran into three, like, baby. three mill decks. Those were my first three matches. It, I had Esper mill, blue-white mill, and Demir mill, blue-black mill. And they... They just were, they were just so freaking consistent and powerful, man. Triple crab draw. And I managed to engineer explosives them down, but they had done too much damage already. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and the archive traps and such, it's just, it was just too brutal. Uh, even the sideboard Veil of Summers weren't enough to, uh, to keep me alive in that one. So um, three, three mill decks, and they all beat me. I did take games off of two of them, but uh, that, was, that was right at the beginning of this format. Um, since uh, Zendikar became legal and it, it was definitely the flavor of the week. Um, then I ran into Dead Guy Ale and just mopped the floor with them because the black-white mid-range greed pile cannot compete with the five-color greed pile. And then somehow I managed to 2-0 <laughs> a Storm player. Uh, I was pretty lucky. Uh, I had Velo Summer for their gifts uh, post-board. Oof, yeah, I had the, so the Nile Spellbomb, so the one of Nile Spellbomb in the main deck. And the thing that really impressed me in the deck construction was Glimmer Void. Uh, I cannot believe how good Glimmer Void was at making three, four, and five colors work. And how the only time I got punished for playing Glimmer Void was because I screwed up. Like, I just I just straight, straight <laughs> up like, played it on turn, it was like turn two or something like that. And I was like, oh, I have this bobble and I, I can't crack it. 
uh, and I didn't need to play the Glimmer Void on that turn for any reason. I just sequenced without without thinking. So um, that said, like the deck not having a lot of interaction um, and splashing the five colors for greediness, I just don't know if it really compares all that favorably to um, things like the the, the, the humans and uh, Merfolk and Prowess and things like that. I, I think the other aggro decks in the format are just doing a slightly better job of what this is doing but that said if we pulled out of red as i was suggesting before and maybe a little bit lower on um the the unearths and things like that we might have something going um that said unearth was really really good in a lot of matchups it put put opponents between a rock and a hard place a lot of times and then other times you're able to like turn to play emery and then you'd mill like alurus and you'd be like oh <laughs> I'll unearth that. Oh, I'll play that bauble. Like it was, it was really neat. Um, so this deck has some really cool lines, um, but it, it did feel a bit like our Urza Affinity decks in terms of just like a lot of the time being outmatched, um, unless the opponent was exactly trying to play fair mid range. That so so Jiggy, do you have any thoughts on what the best mentor shell in uh, in all of our research might have been? yeah i mean i don't know like it's kind of it's kind of hard like it's i feel like mentor was like i guess the best mentor shell honestly might have been the four color version before moving into red for ren and six where you had just like i think like you had the full places of unearths with the three luris and the four emery and just like all that explosiveness and you know you do like you i don't think it had a tight holler sculler but just being able to you know if you want to I think if you want to mentor really well, you know, you got to be able to trigger it a whole bunch. And in order to do that, you know, like Luris and Emery and, you know, just like uh, Minamo, School of Water's Edge and plus mentor, like that's how you can just kind of explode and get out of there. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that would probably be my guess. I mean, I do think that there's probably some, an unexplored shell, like kind of we were talking about, I think the repeal plus free artifacts uh, you know, it goes really, really well with Mentor. Every time I had that come up in the Arayo build, it was, yeah, I was always amazed. It's just like, oh, I might be in trouble. It's like, oh, I really need a repeal right here. You draw a repeal, all of a sudden your board goes from just like kind of even to like now you almost can't lose like very, very quickly just with that one card. So that would, that would kind of be my vote for the best Mentor. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I wonder, I feel like I feel like even with all this exploring, we could still do so much exploring and probably not know the answer. But any any of you two have more thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the four-color Mentor deck might be the, the most interesting original place to go with this. And just uh, getting getting it into that, like, Tide Hollow Sculler version without Ren 6 might be the right way to push it. And then maybe get some 1CMC discard or something in there instead of some of the... Um, some of the unearths might be where the meta is right now. Uh, and that could shift in the future, but... Um, that just might be the right place for it now. Um, but turning to Brian, I do believe you got up to some other nonsense in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, uh, I you know I got to stick to my my first love, which is uh, Urza, and so I um, I took a Grixis Wurza list through a league. Um, I focused on trying to power out the combo as fast as possible and so it was actually pretty minimal changes to some of the 5-0 lists that we've been seeing uh in in the league dumps recently 
The big things that I did was I added two Serum Visions to the main, and I added some Blood Chief's Thirst in the side. Uh, so Blood Chief's Thirst is the new uh, is a, a new card with Zendikar Rising. It is a single black for um, a sorcery that will kill a creature or planeswalker to CMC or less. And it has kicker for three and a black that'll allow you to kick in, or to kill any creature or planeswalker. Uh, so that seemed like a pretty good sideboard addition just to be able to pick off some stuff. Um, you know, I was kind of expecting to run into a lot of prowess like I had been, <laughs> but you know, uh, like I said, we've been seeing a lot of taxes and other random nonsense. Um, so I don't know that I was quite boarded right, but. Um, you know, uh, it played out pretty well. Uh, it did the things that I was expecting it to do. The Serum Visions uh, was actually something that Ellie Cassis was doing uh, back in the early Wurza days before Oko had been printed. Um, and he had been leaning into that to try and d dig to the combo. So that, that was kind of uh, uh, old tech brought back. And the few times that I got to cast the Serum Visions, it did feel pretty relevant. Um, you know, there was a lot of incidental hate out there. Like I said, I played a number of Taxes opponents. Um, I played a turn to Thopter Foundry on the play, and then my opponent played a Kazali Pride Mage, and I was just kind of <laughs> like, oh, this is game one. What's going on? Whoops. What am I playing against? Oof. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was a bit of a, a pain. Uh, I don't know if turbo combo is the way to go right now uh, with the taxes decks being on the rise. You know, they have so many ways of slowing you down, and I don't think that you can quite go under them. You know, a turn two Thalia is going to really slow you down. Um, and so, you know, it might be better to go for a more prison build or lean into some of the uh, Eroza type decks, um, maybe try and take a little bit more control. Cause I think that you are more likely to win the long game against the taxes deck. Um, you know, once Urza comes down, you have the mana generation to get around Thalia and things like that. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that you could kind of take it either way. Uh, I am left feeling like I miss Opal a lot. <laughs> you know, I think that when Opal was first banned, I kind of felt like, oh, you know, we have other ways that we can speed things up. But um, Opal was really singularly unique in what it did. Uh, and it it's clear now that it was speeding things up in a way that I hadn't appreciated at the time. Um, you know, I was thinking like, cool, I can get, you know, turn three Urza, but it's really not about the turn three Urza. It's about all of the other things you can do, like getting out a turn one uh, Thopter Foundry or, or other little things like that. And I think that extra little bit of speed is actually really important for that deck. And I think that that is part of why it's had some middling performances yeah, I mean, recently. Going able, being able to go a whole turn faster in modern is just like, a, it's a ludicrously big deal. I mean, like that's, that's leaps and bounds of uh of win percentage and then on the flip side of that then we lost uh arkham's astrolabe which was such a powerful consistency tool so like it, it, like we lost the speed and then we lost the consistency and then between the two you lost seven to eight slots of your early game i mean it's just really really hard um to to reconcile 
the, the, the restrictions. That said, instead of reconciling the restrictions, uh, I think a bomb exploded with like two different Urza decks. Uh, what is this deck list, Jiggy Wiggy, that I'm looking at? What? What? It, what? Yeah, so I coupled things. So messing at the Mentor, adding Tide Hollow Sculler, I was Sculler create so much it, it's, it's over it overperformed well past any expectations i had uh and so okay like i like this color you know what if we didn't want to do mentor and then it's like you know i'm just tired of having all these other people play these unfair decks and like i don't get to and you know like the whole time i'm playing all these decks i'm thinking holy crap like if mox opal were still illegal just like these decks would be bananas like they would be insane like and just oh it kind of breaks my heart so much uh, but I, yeah, so I kind of, uh, always, you know, Underworld Breach and Grinding Station, I've always, uh, with a CRCMC artifact, is just mill your deck, and that's always been kind of interesting to me. Uh, but then you kind of realize that, oh, you know, just like Underworld, uh, Grinding Station and Artifact, which is good synergy with Emery, and then, you know, like Tide House Color too, like that's a little disruption, and then while going down this route, it's like, oh, you know, just like, what if we just kind of tried to slot in Sword of the Meek and Thopter Foundry and then Urza? And so I created this amalgamation of a list. Uh, I call it Urza, Urza Thopter Breach. It is four colors. It's got 20 lands. I'll kind of skip over the lands because that's not super exciting. Uh, but four Bobble, two Amber, one EE, uh, one Nile Spell Bomb. And then a whole bunch of a slew of two drops, Thassus Oracle, two Breaches, four Scullers as interaction, uh, thop, two Thopter Foundries, three, uh, uh, three Pentad Prism, and then one Sword of the Meek. And then kind of, you know, rounding all this out. Uh, so A, you know, like Tide Hollow Sculler is sweet, but you know what's even sweeter? Sack effects with Tide Hollow Sculler, where you can sack it with a trigger on the stack, and thanks to the wonderful old templating, the leaves the battlefield trigger results first and the enters does, and sure you lose your Sculler, but they're never gonna ever get their card back. However, you play four Emery and three Lura, so you're probably gonna get your Sculler back. The other thing that I wanted to kind of, then I guess going up the chain too, uh, four Emery, three Metallic Rebuke, which probably can be something else, three Luris, and then two Urza, two Karn. And then the thing really kind of holding this deck together that I've been curious about is three Wishclaw Talisman, which is the one black artifact from Throne of Eldraine that comes into play with three Wish Counters. Uh, tap, uh, colorless, tap it, uh, demonic or demonic tutor for anything, and but your opponent gets Wishclaw Talisman. I love Wishclaw Talisman. I played that in, or played it in uh, a Wurza list, uh, maybe like last august or so and some of the lines that you can pull off are awesome a lot of people don't realize that you can activate it at any point on your turn it's it's instant speed on your turn because it reads that you can only activate it on your turn and i think a lot of people see that and they're like oh it's sorcery speed and so you know i've had some pretty crazy lines where i wish for you know a galvanic blast in response to a cryptic command and like dome them in the face knowing that they were holding up uh uh, counter magic and, and things like that. So I've been able to, to bait some things out of people who were not expecting it. Um, and I am very excited to see that you're jamming three of them in here. Um, and I, 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 am, I am all on board, all on board with the wishing. Yeah, I was pretty, I mean, that's a really good point, actually, because I hadn't really considered. 
you know, the, I jammed them in here because, A, they're an artifact, which, you know, the whole deck is artifacts, which is good synergy and everything. But, you know, with three grinding station and two uh, Thopter foundries, maybe we want to go for three foundries, we have a lot of ways to sack it with the trigger on the stack where you can cast it, pay a mana, activate it, hold priority, and then you can sack it with, like, grinding station, mill yourself three, demonic tutor for a card, and then they don't get it. And then you can just recast next one with Emery or Luris, uh, which was, you know... Uh, so I've only, and then you have two Urzas, and I'm actually, I wonder if we need more Urzas actually, but Urza seems pretty sweet because we have so many artifacts now. It also finishes the com the combo with Sword of the Meek and Thopter Foundry, and then two Karns because, you know, Karn also has fun synergy with Wishlot Talisman and then also gives you a wishboard of good stuff, and then also can grab your Sword of the Meek, can grab another uh, Thopter Foundry if you need it. And so I've only played one Man, I jumped in the heads up queue with this. I lost, actually, I went 1-2 against, like, one of those new uh, Aspiring Spike-inspired uh, uh, Just Guy Geistblade decks. But it came down to, it was a really close game 3 where they had one card in hand, uh, and I was going to Karn, I had 7 men, I was going to Karn for Bridge when they had Lethal on board, but the last card was Dovin's Veto. So, like, not, I'm never really sad about those types of losses, because they're, um, uh, you know, like, they're close, they come in with the last card each. But I was, you know, I'm... I think the deck still needs a fair amount of tuning, but it felt really sweet, you know, just like having Breach plus, having the two combos, Breach plus Sword, I didn't realize how good the Sword combo is, just even if you don't have Urza, being able to just generate three to four Thopters a turn and gain four life is just like crazy. Oh yeah. The game I won with it, like I won with the combo, I didn't even have Urza, they just scooped to it after I made like nine Thopters over two turns, and it's like, okay. Oh no, it's, it's one of the best parts about playing those decks. Um, that said, <laughs> this deck must fold brutally fast to, uh, rest in peace. Hey, let, let's not say the R word. Let's not say the R word here. Or Leyline. <laughs> but that said, I mean, when we were looking through all those competitive lists before, there are very few people who are packing, like, serious graveyard hate. Now, I don't know exactly what the reason is, but Dredge seems pretty quiet right now, and... The way modern's been swinging around like a wild pendulum, uh, maybe next weekend is going to be, or this weekend coming in the next couple of days, we might see Dredge just completely annihilate um, all the competitive tournaments. Obviously, that's yet to come. Um, but it will be interesting to pay attention to because if there's a chink in the metagame uh, that like we might be seeing here, then it might be time to... Uh, to ram this this spear in there yeah yeah i'm very you know i think like i said i think it needs a lot of tuning but i think it's very 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 promising and you know just having the threat it's interesting because i'm i haven't played a deck like this in a while where just because you know you force your opponent to be the aggressor because you know like you have so many redundant ways to win where just like they have to come at you because if the game goes long like you're going to win uh just due to all the recursion and all the synergistic combos you have so that was very interesting. I haven't played a deck like this in a while. And, you know, like, yeah, more more testing to do. Also, I never appreciate Luris is a messed up magic card. Like, Luris is, like, nuts. It's it's crazy yeah, good. It's, it's pretty good. Like, you just... I mean, I, I do wonder how your matchup's going to be against some of the disruptive aggressive decks. Um, things like humans, things like spirits, merfolk, all of those things that we were mentioning as being um, a slice of the metagame pie. That's uh, currently sort of growing in size. Yeah, it'll be interesting. <laughs> the the metagame uh, mold culture that's that's spreading <laughs> like, like a, a happy little mold. Um, 
Because you, you basically have no interaction and your spells start... Like, this is a chunky deck. Most of your spells start at two. Yeah, it wants Opal so badly. It kills. I want... I know, I know. and Or just <sighs> any worthwhile one CMC artifacts to play. Well, it'll be interesting to see if you can refine that. Yeah, I mean, the, the other one thing that pops up is with with not with the only one CMC being an Isle Spellbomb, that can easily be a race, you know. Chalice of the Void could be pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, that that is... Um, that's definitely screaming for use here. And the one um, one last point is that the one... Urza is actually really good in this deck because you have your, the artif I've never played an Urza deck with such a high artifact count. Like, the two times I've dropped Urza... Uh, one time on turn four, I got a four four construct. The second turn on turn five, I had a six six construct, and like that, <laughs> that felt good. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the old time feel. <laughs> yeah, that's I, I I have a real hard time going below like twenty four twenty five artifacts in my Urza decks. I know that there's a good case to be made for playing more main deck interaction right now, but. Every time that I start cutting artifacts, I'm just like cringe a little bit and kind of try and figure out. Well, maybe Aether Spell Bomb is good enough. Maybe I don't need the hard removal. The answer is, yeah, you need a little bit of interaction right now, and Aether Spell Bomb doesn't always cut it. But <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely buy that. All right, well, uh, let's take another break, and when we come back, we'll dive into our next project, Project Prison. Welcome back. Uh, so let's kick off Project Prison with uh, a little bit of a history and just kind of an explanation and uh, exploration of the archetype. So prison decks are decks that seek to slow down the game and lock out the opponent uh, from playing typical magic. There are a number of viable approaches to building a prison deck, but the commonality among all of them is that they use cards that will either prevent the opponent from casting spells on time or at all, such as uh, Arayo or uh, Thalia, like we were talking about earlier. Um, other cards may prevent the opponent from winning via normal means, such as combat steps or via combat damage. And then uh, other cards may seek to control the rules of the game in a way that is either asymmetrical or can be made asymmetrical through deck building choices. Um, prison decks have been around since the very beginning of Magic. One of the first prison decks used a card called Stasis and showed up on the scene as early as 93-94. Uh, Brian David Marshall called this the godfather of pr prison strategies in ma magic. For those of you who don't know what Stasis is, it's <laughs> one in a blue for an enchantment that reads, players do not get an untap phase. Pay a blue mana during upkeep or Stasis is destroyed. So that basically keeps opponents out of untapping and thus playing magic. You get whatever mana was available at the time, but once it's tapped, it is gone. Um, 
that sounds pretty nasty. I have not played with stasis, but that sounds sweet. Uh, so the goal of this was to get a stasis on the field, to lock an opponent out of casting spells, and then use time elemental to return stasis to your hand on your own upkeep. And basically this allowed you to untap and further your game plan while keeping the opponent locked down. The combo required six plus mana, to allow the prison pilot to bounce the stasis to hand and then recast it each turn. So in spite of the name Turbo Stasis, there was nothing particularly turbo about it. Uh, the earliest deck list I was able to find was from 1994 and ran cards such as Icy Manipulator, Stasis, Swords to Plowshares, Time Walk, Ancestral Recall, Mana Drain, uh, a bunch of real bangers. Um, so it's worth taking a look at and the list will be in the show notes. My dog is shaking off behind me. Uh, so in 1996, Wizards R&D member Matt Place refined uh, the stasis deck list, and this is where the turbo stasis came from. Uh, it took a top eight finish in Nationals in 96. Um, this list ran cards like Boomerang instead of the Time Elemental to reduce the cost of bouncing the stasis to hand and to provide early game tempo plays while setting up the stasis. It also used cards such as Kismet, to ensure that an opponent's permanents come into play tapped, and Force of Will and Arcane Denial to have early counter magic available. Once the stasis lock was set up, the deck looked to mill the opponent out by playing Howling Mine effects and forcing them to draw through their deck. The Prison Pilot is protected from self-mill by running a copy of Felden's Cane to reshuffle their graveyard back into their library. <laughs> I, just, I just want to mention, this deck sounds awful like holy cow <laughs> like th this is magic the way that richard garfield intended like you know this new this new power creep might not be a bad thing if i'm gonna mill you with uh you know howling mine and i'm gonna reshuffle my library like no thank you yeah this this sounds wild i mean say what you will about modern uh, magic design but i mean there were some truly brutal things that were happening before to people <laughs> were there still match a... time limits back then was i feel like every well, ju ju just like now i believe that once you got to the top eight there probably wasn't um but but even in regular time it might it might not have been as strict but how do you even make it to top eight i can't see how you would get through a single game let alone an entire match I have no idea. We have to ask the people people from back then. Uh, Old-timey. If they call us paper boomers, what were these people? Uh -huh. yeah, right. <laughs> Progenitors. Playing yeah. steam-powered steam -powered, uh, gaslight <laughs> magic with no sleeves. Good lord. Uh, uh, it hurts. It hurts. Sleeveless. It hurts. Savagery. So after this, uh, this stasis deck and reading about uh, turbo stasis, I had a really hard time finding much more history. Um, it gets pretty dicey. The best I was able to do is look at specific prison cards showing up in vintage and legacy and modern to try and see the evolution of them. Um, but, you know, there's still a period of time in there where we didn't really have good uh, results uh, um, archives and things like that and some of these formats didn't even exist uh, you know uh, back in the late 90s and early 2000s so rather than trying to do forensics here and come up with a plausible story for the evolution of prison we're just going to jump into discussing some common prison cards how they're used and what sorts of decks have been around them 
So broadly, uh, prison cards can be organized into a few different categories. Some of these kind of cross boundaries or don't fit perfectly, but um, you know, as humans, we like to try and organize things. Uh, so that's what we're doing here. So the, the first category is what we're calling stacks effects. These are named after the card smokestack, which reads, at the beginning of your upkeep, you may put a soot counter on smokestack. At the beginning of each player's upkeep, that player sacrifices a permanent for each soot counter on smokestack. So a more recent printing of an effect like this would be Doom Foretold. Um, so if anybody has seen uh, the two black-white enchantment floating around while playing Standard or uh, Pioneer or Modern, um, you know, it, it basically prevents the opponent from building any sort of board presence because they're going to have to sacrifice things every turn. Um, these sorts of effects really just look to lock the opponent out of committing permanence to the board, and typically a stacks player will look to break the symmetry in these effects by playing cheap inconsequential permanence that either produce more permanence to be sacrificed or provide value when sacrificed. So examples of things that you might see alongside a Doom Foretold, for example, would be cards like Icker Wellspring or Servo Schematic, because when they're sacrificed, they produce uh, either uh, a draw or um, create a token. So you're getting a little bit of extra value when they leave the battlefield. They also draw you a card and uh, create a token when they enter the battlefield. So you're kind of double dipping on, on those. There have been a decent number of printings of weird artifacts that get value when they enter the battlefield and when they leave the battlefield that have no clear home. And, um, you know, I had already mentioned those two. There's also Mycosynth Wellspring, which when it enters the battlefield and when it goes to the graveyard, allows you to search for a basic land and put it into your hand. And so these are things that I'm always kind of scratching my head at, like, well, how am I going to get these things into the graveyard? Like, how, how am I going to really abuse this? And um, stacks effects seem like they could be a good fit. Yeah. <laughs> So next up, our second category is what we're going to call Hate Rocks. These types of effects include cards such as Ensnaring Bridge, Torpor Orb, Trinisphere, Null Rod, Pithing Needle, and other similar artifacts. Uh, the thing that all of these have in common is that they are artifact cards, and they prevent the opponent from doing something, uh, casting spells on curve, attacking with creatures, activating abilities, and those sorts of things. These are all pretty powerful cards that have defined archetypes such as where prison or lantern control, and there are often potent sideboard cards in non-prison decks as well. One of the best known decks to employ a pile of hate rocks is the deck that won Protor Ixalan, Lantern Control. This deck is named after Lantern of Insight, which requires both players to play with the top of their deck face up. Paired with the Lantern are a number of artifacts with activated abilities that force an opponent to mill a card. Um, and for threats that make it to the battlefield, Lantern could whir for copies of Ensnaring Bridge, Pithing Needle, Witchbane Orb, or Graft Digger's Cage. So the, the basic plan there was to force the opponent to mill things that you couldn't deal with while uh, whirring for Silver Bullets to handle the things that you let through. 
Next up in our categories, we have taxing effects. These effects come in a number of forms and put pressure on an opponent's mana by forcing them to pay more for spells or abilities. The most popular and probably best known of these is Thalia, Guardian of Thraben. Thalia is a 2-1 creature with first strike for one and a white that says non-creature spells cost one more to cast. Other common taxing effects include Ghostly Prison, Suppression Field, Defense Grid, and even Dovin Hand of Control. Many of these effects, like Thalia, are symmetrical, so the decks built around them are built to minimize their impact for the pilot. So, for example, it's common for Thalia to show up in decks that are primarily creature-based and primarily employ creature-based interaction. So uh, decks like Modern Humans is a really good example of a Thalia deck. Um, Death and Taxes in Legacy or, and now in Modern um, are also good examples of this. Zach, why don't you take us through our next category? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Mana Denial. Mana Denial effects seek to destroy or otherwise prevent an opponent from even using their mana. What does that mean? Well, these Mana Denial effects come in a few different flavors, including lands such as Stripmine, Ghost Quarter, Rashadi Import, and Wasteland. But in addition to lands, you can find enchantments such as Blood Moon or Spreading Seas, which will change a land's color or they're, they're, it'll turn them into a basic land of a, of a chosen type, which cuts your opponent off of certain colors of their mana source. Uh, this was apparently something that happened during the, um, the standard format where Jun was actually uh, the original, actual, factual, classic Jun was being played, and, uh, and people were using spreading seas to choke off their <laughs> mana. And finally, there are straight land destruction spells such as Stone Rain, Pillage, and Armageddon. So Mono Red Prison is an example of a deck uh, that is frequently played in Modern, and this uh, will play a mixture of cards that are Mana Denial, usually in the form of Blood Moon, though. Um, Blood Moon is a huge, huge staple um, from time to time in Modern. Whenever mana games get, or whenever mana bases get just a little too greedy. <laughs> um, so sometimes you'll put out a Blood Moon on, on turn one, um, although the, these decks usually aim for turn two. Um, they'll go, maybe go for turn one on the draw, um, and additionally, the deck runs cards like Ensnaring Bridge, which will lock your opponent out of combat, Chalice of the Void, which will uh, lock out a swath of uh, spells either on 1 or 0 CMC. Um, sometimes these decks run, uh, the, the win conditions are a little bit more ponderous, such as Chandra, Torch of, Torch of Defiance, and Karn the Great Creator. Uh, and Karn can also wish for additional lock pieces of different types, um, taxing effects, hate rocks like... Um, uh, damping sphere and uh, Chandra allows you to have some level of board control. Meanwhile, in uh, Legacy, Rashadi Import and Wasteland are uh, staples of a, a very, very wide variety of decks from Death and Taxes to Goblins um, and Merfolk. There, there are lots of decks that are built on the strong foundation of these two colorless cards um, because they just allow you to punish. Uh, your opponent's low number of lands. Uh, Delver decks play so few lands and no basics whatsoever. So being able to lock them out of one or two mana can sometimes have devastating effects, um, especially if you double up with things like the taxing effects. In this case, uh, Thalia, Guardian of Thraben, once again, shines in this format. Um, there's a lot of modern legal cards in those deck lists, but one of the, the biggest differences is having those those lands that hate on other lands. Um, 
Now, recently in modern, we we seem to have have a bump in death and taxes, and even before that, um, Skyclave Apparition certainly is is a very helpful card, permanently exiling uh, uh, creatures, and that's very very important in case of things like Uro, uh, because not only are you able to permanently exile their Uro, but they only get a three three for it if they're able to uh, remove your Skyclave Apparition. Uh, it's also a nice flying creature, just as another threat in the taxes shell. So. You know, most of these prison decks tend to be some kind of combination uh, of the uh, effects. So once again, we had uh, prison cards. We had stacks effects, hate rocks, taxing effects, and mana denial. Is that uh, is that about right, Brian? Yeah, you know, I think um, I, I may have missed some... Oh, one other kind of... There's a bunch of oddities. There's, there's outliers here as well that are, are not necessarily... Uh, or, or don't necessarily fit super well into any of those categories. Um, you know, I, I guess, you know, we, we talked a little bit about bending the rules uh, with some of the hate rocks, but, um, you know, there are a large number of enchantment cards that also have similar effects like this. You know, we kind of talked a little bit about uh, Ghostly Prison um, and uh, I, I don't remember what else we mentioned, but, you know, there's also things like Phyrexian Unlife or um, Lich's Mastery, which aren't exactly prison cards on their own, but look to bend the rules in a way that uh, you're you're essentially setting up, it's like a one card prison piece because it prevents your opponent from playing magic by the traditional rules of the game. And so, you know, I think it's just good to keep those in mind as well. Yeah, you'd lump things like uh, deafening silence or rule of law or uh, the blue version is Arcane labor Laboratory. Um, think things that limit the number of cards that can be played per turn. Uh, Eidolon of Rhetoric. Um, yeah, those those fall into a very odd little little niche between these other things. But right, but the, the, the general idea here is to to limit what your opponent is allowed to do. Um, my my good friend Roy loves to um, prompt or prime people, uh, and one of the things he would would do with me and he knew what the response was going to be is he would ask me is a prison deck a control deck <laughs> and my answer my my answer is a little surprising I, I would think because i think a lot of prison decks are not really control decks what i think they are is aggro decks and i'm going to explain what i mean is that you're not able to go long and you don't have inevitability what you have is the ability to shrink your opponent's uh, uh, choices, their options. And eventually what you want to do is shrink them down to the point where none of the choices really matter anymore. Um, that anything that they're allowed to do is just not going to beat you. Um, and you have to do it fairly quickly a lot of the time. Um, and some things that leak through the prison but while you're assembling it can cause big, big problems later on. Um, other things that get through before you've locked your prison in uh, are not a problem at all. So it, it really depends, you know, and this is what makes Magic such a fascinating game um, with endless variability, is that prisons are made from different pieces and the, the different decks in the metagame uh, interact differently with them. So um, case in point, one of the most successful decks that takes one prison element is Eldrazi Tron. Now, I couldn't point exactly to what has caused a precipitous drop 
in the Eldrazi Tron uh, share of the metagame when they were uh, riding high, you know, only a couple months ago. Um, but one of the things that is a common touching point of when that deck is doing well is when the modern metagame becomes very focused around zero CMC or one CMC spells, because just as an effect of playing Etron, you are usually playing for Chalice of the Void. And Chalice of the Void on one is just devastating against a lot of decks like um, a lot of the traditional variations of Death Shadow, especially the Grixis version. Um, Burn and Prowess often have a bit of a hard time with that. So um, there are times where that is exceptional. And even today, I was playing a, one of the four-color Uro piles, and I was playing against someone who's playing essentially um, uh, Black Red Pyromancer. Now, they weren't playing Young Pyromancer. They were playing Seasoned Pyromancer, but they were playing Main Deck Blood Moons. And those main deck bloods, especially in game one when you're not expecting it, if they sneak that in, it's a single card, a single element of a prison deck that just is devastatingly powerful in the right circumstance. I was locked almost entirely out of all my colors. Um, so there are definitely prison elements that are getting played, uh, if not dedicated prison decks. And, and again, uh, the prison can be one that you are placing on your opponent, placing around yourself, or a combination of both. Yeah, uh, so I think that kind of covers the, the, the broad strokes of what prison is. Um, I see here uh, there, you have a little bit of additional history you want to you wanna bring up. Well, I just wanted to talk really quickly about uh, within the recent couple of years, uh, there have been a couple of standout decks in modern especially um, that have been in the prison archetype. So just to list out some of these, um, the artifact decks that have uh, fit in this mold include uh, Were Prison, especially, uh, Lantern Prison, especially, and then um, the sort of cousins to those two of the Thopter Sword decks that would eventually become the Urza combo decks once Urza was printed. Um, then we have Red Prison decks. Um, these are uh, re heavily reliant on Blood Moon. Um, but there's also red-white prison and taxes decks, um, and there's a specific player, Ice Nine, who is a champion of these and has their own um, sort of following and their own Discord, um, which we could probably link in the show notes. Um, I believe the, the Discord is uh, red-white lockout, Libor and taxes, um, which is uh, often visited by uh, streamer FluffyWolf2. And Fluffy Wolf 2 is also a member of the, uh, I think it's called the Pyro Prison Discord. Um, so there is quite, yeah, the Pyro Prison Discord. There is quite a following of just red and red X prison decks um, in, uh, in modern in general. Um, and they've had varying levels of, of success. Um, I don't know if they would include Scred in their um, family, but, you know, Scred won a GP a couple <laughs> years back, like four years back or so. One of the most interesting things to happen in competitive magic <laughs> history. So uh, in the last little while, those have been the sort of major um, prison decks. But then there have been some crazy other ones. Um, Saffron Olive at one point popularized, and we saw... Um, a version of it today when we were looking at the challenge results. Um, Enduring Ideal is uh, an epic spell which allows you to search your library for an enchantment every turn. Uh, there are enough enchantments where you can actually very quickly assemble uh, a lock where your opponent is unable to deal damage to you or in indeed win the game at all. 
Um, so there, there are some other very niche ones that are worth maybe exploring this week. Cool. Well, uh, let's, uh, let's kick off some of these explorations. Uh, Arun, what do you got for us? Yeah, so I mean, this is going to be pretty exciting. Prison has always kind of uh, had a little place in my heart. I have more experience with prison de desks than decks than, you know, I'd actually kind of expected to think back to it. I originally got into competitive magic playing Legacy between 2007 and 2011 was when I was like really, really into it. I have distinct memories of purchasing underground seats for $27 and thinking, man, these are pretty expensive. Ooh. And uh, kills me, kills me. Uh, I mean, that was, that was when Legacy was the wild, wild west and it was beautiful. And one of my favorite decks to play actually was Fairy Stompy. I think we didn't really mention the Stompy decks, but I think they're kind of like the hybrid between the prison and the uh, Taxes decks, where they're kind of defined in Legacy, they're defined by the Soul Lands, Ancient Tomb, City of Traders, and Chalice of the Void, along with like a bunch of undercosted threats. Uh, modern, you know, Serum Powder Eldrazi Stompy, kind of similar S to that, where you have, Ser where you have SSG, uh, Serum Powder, Chalice of the Void, and then Cheap Eldrazi with the Temple to really power things out. But Sea Stompy, or Fairy Stompy, was amazing, because, you know, you have like, the you have uh, Chalice of the Void, you have the eight Soul Lands, but you also get Chromox. Your big beater was Sea Drake, two in a blue, 4-3 Flyer, enters the battlefield, return two target lands you control to their hands. So if you only have one lands, the ability, the, if you only have one land, the ability fizzles. Uh, man, those were the days. I remember those used to be like $40, and now they're pennies. Very, very sad. Uh, but I... And the the stompy shell is still something that pops up in legacy from time to time, right? With a, with a sort of cadre of other friends. I think the most common one right now is goblins. Uh, they don't call it goblin stompy, but it's playing four ancient tomb, four city of traders, <laughs> and uh, chalice of the void, right? And yeah, well it's now stompy because muxus is just that good. That is totally worth, you know, just like messing everything up to right. play to, to a return. But, out but of the muxus. stompy base is those 12 yep, yep, cards. Yeah. It's, it's uh, ancient tomb and city of traders, which both tap for two mana, allowing you to, with a single land, play a chalice of the void on one on turn one. Uh, so your opponent either has to force you or enjoy playing the rest of the game locked out of Ponder and Brainstorm. Chromox, too, oftentimes is included in most stompy shells. But, you know, I really... Yeah, or uh, Mox Diamond, probably. Yep, yep, yeah, occasionally. You know, I really... Yeah, that was a fun deck. That that deck was so much fun. I really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, in Modern, uh, I was fortunate enough to get into Serum Powder Eldrazi, while Izzet Phoenix was the Scourge. So I got to really play like the only time it was a good deck before the power creep made it kind of, you know, not so good. But man, that was some, I, I do love Stompy style decks. Uh, for brewing this week, I kind of have two ideas that I'm interested in testing. The first, and you know, these are, I actually, I was trying to come up with a list today, but like, I'll, I'll have, I should have some, uh, I should have lists before we uh, publish this episode, but. I mean, you know, I like outdoor, I like things that are out there. And so one thing that I'm really interested in is kind of inspiration from Cave Dan. Uh, shout out going way back when with their Pongify Zoo build uh, from way back when, where the, you, you neoform your undying creatures and you get more uh, little creatures. You just like pound them with a whole bunch of like cheap, uh, mediocre creatures. But, you know, I kind of looked for the search and said, like, what hate bears are available in modern? And there's like 30-something hate bears, honestly, that can pretty much, you know, if you want to hate something or something specific in modern, you can hate it with a very specific creature. And so that kind of got me thinking, 
you know, what if we have the concept for a deck where you play Neoform and Eldritch Evolution, four of each, and your whole goal is that on turn two or turn three, you want to be able to have the perfect hate bear out to deal with whatever deck you're facing. And, you know, like even if you're facing a fair deck or a neutral deck, even Thalia, Garden of Thraben, you know, like that's a brutal card to play against when all your stuff is coming into play tap and they're beating you with a 3-2 first strike that you can't really block in combat. So, you know, even, you know, you have these hate bears like this that are good, even, you know, situationally like this. Uh, so, you know, I that's kind of where I started. I got a big list of hate bears like, oh boy, we can do some fun stuff. What do you, what do you think of the new hate boar? Yeah, so that is... I love that card. My one issue with that is if you want to play five color hate bears, you're probably not going to be running any basic lands, at least, you know, probably not me. Uh, so you'll you'll miss the ETB. It, what it, can you do? Can you want to read the card? I kind of forget. I know it hoses fetches. Yasharn, Implacable Earth. Oof, love the name. Two green white. Legendary creature, elemental boar. When Yasharn enters the battlefield, search your library for a basic forest card and... A basic planes card. Reveal those cards, put them into your hand, then shuffle your library, so some solid card advantage. But then, players can't pay life or sacrifice non-land permanents to cast spells or activate abilities. So anything that says, as an additional cost, sacrifice something that isn't a land, or requires you to pay any life, um, you cannot use those things to cast a spell or activate an ability. So fetch lands are off. Um... I guess Dismember, you can't cast with the Phyrexian mana being paid with life. You actually have to cast it for full retail value. Um, do you guys think of anything more that that really shuts down? Yeah, not really. And I think this is, I think I stumbled upon it initially. I think it's actually in my list. And then it's like, oh, wait, you know, this seems fun and cool, but like shuts off fetches and, you know, what else really? Um, well, it shuts off. Didn't you say it shuts off anything that self-sacrifices? So, uh, Bobble and... Yep. Uh, oh. That would do, that would do. oh, interesting. Yeah. You know, I, I think that when I first saw it, my first thought was that it might be decent um, against some of the prowess lists because they're running things like Gutshot and they were running things like Bobble to try and get those extra prowess triggers. But with uh, prowess on the decline, then maybe that is not exactly where we want to be. But it's definitely something to keep in your back pocket. Yeah, yeah, definitely something something worth considering. And, yeah, I get the big thing with this is, you know, if you want to be five colors, because all the, you know, I'm probably going to want to play Lavinia. I'm going to want to play Galactique. Uh, you know, I'm probably going to want to, I don't know. I haven't, I have to check my list, but, like, yep, I'm probably going to be in. Oh, yeah, I want to play Kambal, Council of, uh, of Con the, Kambal, the Stormhate dude, uh, yeah, console of yeah. Uh, no console of crap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Console. I don't of, remember what he's the console of. Allocation. Console of, <laughs> allocation. There we go. Yeah. And then the Kunaros Hound of the Hound of Atrios. Yeah, you know, like that hoses Uro and stuff. And so having, so you know, you're kind of. I'll be surprised if you don't wind up in five colors. And so that's gonna be, you know, the mana base is gonna be interesting, especially if you want to, you know, like. Go turn with noble hierarch into neoform into you know Galactig or uh, uh, you know uh, Kunaros like we just talked about. So I'm gonna that's gonna be kind of tricky to figure out. Uh, but you know I'm kind of the other thing is like the one drops to consider like what you you're gonna need one drops because you need to neoform them into two drops. You probably want them to stick around. Like you definitely want noble hierarch, and so you probably want like 
the young wolf. Uh, so I think to do this, I'm probably going to find Cave Den's old list or the most recent one that's available and probably start with those one drops and then, you know, replace the mediocre two and three drops that Cave Den has uh, that are very synergistic with my mediocre two and three drops that are just hate bears and are not very synergistic. So we'll see. So that's probably what I'm going to do for there. I'm very, I've been interested in this idea for a while, especially getting the mana base to work. You know, I've always, I've always been curious about reflecting pool. And, you know, like just having a pure like mana confluence reflecting pool, just like City of Brass, maybe just take a little pain, but just get this perfect five color mana base and never really have to worry. The other thing that I'd be interested in is, you know, I'm SSG plus Chalice of the Void. I know it's oh, mean. I know yeah. it's evil, but like, man, you know, like in modern, it feels like it's just right, especially, you know, I don't feel so I don't feel so bad when like people are you know like oops all spells and like belting me on turn two like no you know just like this is this is comeuppance uh and so the other the interesting thing about chalice of the void is it's the dual uses of a you know disrupt the opponent where you like you know maybe you'll hit their cantrips maybe you'll cast on turn off an ssg now their noble hierarch is dead they can't cast their aether vial but the other th nice use of it is that it protects your own permanence from like efficient removal turns off fatal push turns off path to exile uh, so when you kind of take all these things together, if you're running Chalice and SSG, you can be a little less scared to run, you know, just like two drops that are going to eat it. Of course, Ren and Six, I'm definitely going to put in this shell because if you're going to try and turn one Chalice of the Void, turn one Ren and Six with the fetches, you know, almost as good in many cases. It just sets you up uh, so well. Uh, you know, I'd be curious about this four-color build, uh, maybe with Omnath. Uh, the cool thing is, once again, we're running Chalice of the Void, uh, trying to get it out fast. So if we go turn one Chalice and turn two Lotus Cobra, the Lotus Cobra is probably going to stick. And then maybe we can just go off to the races. Uh, in addition to this, you know, I'd probably want Teferi. That card is oppressive. Karn the Great Creator. Hopefully Lotus Cobra and Ren, Lotus Cobra and Ren and Six is also, I think, you know, pretty underexplored just because Cobra dies to a light sneeze. However, I've messed around with this shell a little bit in the past and, you know, having... When Lotus Cobra is 2 plus mana every turn for like 3 turns straight, especially if you've got a Chalice of the Void to protect it, you know, you're just going to start doing some pretty silly things. Uh, you know, uh, so Karn the Gate Cater would be pretty neato. Uh, I'd also, you know, uh, I'd like some Omnaths in it, because one of the historic weaknesses of prison decks, especially in modern, is that Planeswalkers kind of run you over unless you can manage to get your Silver Bullet, like maybe your Pythic Needle or your uh, Sorcerer Spyglass. But Omnath's land his, if you hit his third landfall, actually, four damage to every Planeswalker is kind of nuts, you know? Like, it'll kill most Planeswalkers just in one swoop, uh, which is pretty sweet. And so, uh, and then while we're at it, you know, uh, also Cloth, I'd like to be curious about adding Clothis to this list. Yeah, the Clothis is also really good, uh, you know, just good card in general. Also, pinging them to a turn, draining to a turn. Clothis and Bridge, uh, and uh, Ensnaring Bridge is always a cool combination. Especially with Omnath, I could I could see, you know, uh, Clothis and Omnath and a bridge, and you can have your opponent dead in like three turns, which is kind of sweet while you're not doing anything. This deck might even be able to play Field of the Dead, because, you know, Field of the Dead is busted. Uh, and yeah, so this is, I don't have a draft of this list yet, but this draft should be slightly easier to make uh, than the, the Hate Bears deck. So I'll definitely, I'll have a link to this, the list I'm going to start testing before this is all released. But those are the two... Those are definitely the two places that I'd be curious to start.
Yeah, you when you were mentioning the the uh, Simeon Spirit Guide into Chalice, I'm like, you know what I want to dig <laughs> up. I want to dig up Sonic Pyro. So oh, just a yeah. brief aside, I am probably the most infamous prison player of the three of us, even if I'm not the most experienced, although I'm reasonably experienced. But once upon a time, Jiggy Wiggy wanted to get all about... Um, serum powder he missed playing serum powder <laughs> eldrazi and we came up with the idea of like what if we played serum powder prison red prison um in order to be able to mull more aggressively to quick prison hands and then somehow we ended up way off the deep end now i don't remember i know there was someone who messaged me about it and but i can't remember the exact way we got there but we were like you know Chancellor of the Tangle gets you to two men on turn one, just like Simeon's Spirit Guide. Well, then came the madness. So we ended up concocting this deck. Um, it is a 16 land deck with two gemstone caverns. It has four Chalice of the Void, four Serum Powder. And then, because you've got four Chancellor of the Tangle and four Simeon Spirit Guides, each of those gives you access to two mana on turn one, as does Gemstone Caverns if you're on the draw. But wait, if you have access to two mana on turn one, then you can cast Desperate Ritual or Pyretic Ritual, which gives you access to three mana on turn one. Where can you go from there? So the, the deck we ended up creating... Um, I managed to secure a 5-0 with it um, within the first couple of... Oh, within the first week of playing it. And um, basically the goal of the deck is just to slam something crazy on turn one. Now, that could be just a Chalice of the Void. Uh, it could be a Blood Moon. It could be a Goblin Rabble Master or a Seasoned Pyromancer to try to set yourself up for another threat in the next turn. And the crazy thing is... It could even be Karn the Great Creator or Chandra Torch of Defiance. This deck can put together four mana on turn one. It is an absolute blast to play. I have a whole bunch of recordings of it on my YouTube channel, and it is just a wild, wild ride. Um, if you want to mulligan hard <laughs> and play some very quick games that are actually occasionally very interesting, full of really, really weird, crunchy choices. Um, I, I cannot recommend this highly enough if you want to just feel your blood pump for a little while <laughs> um, with, a, with a good time. And all of this came from the fact that while we were playing, um, I think I was playing a version of my Red Green Lands deck, which I'm going to touch on in a second. Uh, there was one game where we, we played a turn one Karn the Great Creator, into turn two liquid metal coating and just started strip mining our opponent. We went, huh, that might be a thing. We might we want to do that more often. Um, and thus came madness. Um, so this is, uh, as I was told by the prison community after I was sort of uh, initiated after this, this period, um, this falls into the pyro prison uh, archetype because it's playing cards like Karn the Great Creator. Um, which is apparently part of part of that distinction for them, uh, and because it's so fast, I named it Sonic Pyro. So thus, it got its little tiny niche in history um, that hasn't really been uh, all that big of a deal. But I think will probably creep around from time to time, and certainly I like to dust it off every now and then. 
Um, that said, I just touched on, uh, I have a red-green lands shell uh, with Chalice of the Void. Um, this is one of those decks, it's a Seismic Loam deck. And if you've never seen a Seismic Loam deck, Seismic Assault is an enchantment for red, red, red that says you can discard a land card to shock. You just deal two damage wherever you want. And then Life from the Loam allows you to play one in a green and pick up three target lands for your graveyard. It also has Dredge 3. And if one of the lands you pick up just so happens to be a cycling land, you could cycle that land and pick up your Life from the Loam again. Thus, you have netted two lands in hand or two shocks if you have a Seismic Assault in, uh, in play. This is a brutal thing that can happen to a lot of the mid-range and aggressive decks in Modern. Um, so obviously this deck needs a few tweaks from time to time, um, but I do think that some of the, um, land or the, the modal double face mm. cards from Zendikar might give this a real shot in the arm. <laughs> so I should, I should take a good look at that, um, and try to figure out exactly where I want to go with that deck because I really, really like it. Um, but there was a very disheartening weekend where I played three leagues with it and I went something like two and 13. Um, so <laughs> Hold it, on. I... It, it, yeah, I mean, so this, this is a deck where um, it definitely <laughs> suffers from not playing any particularly powerful one-up cards. It's a very synergistic deck. Um, it, it, does, it just doesn't have anything to do the heavy lifting. Um, I gotta, so, I gotta ask. I'm sorry. Does this thoughts of ruin? Have you ever resolved that? Like, what is this? So thoughts of ruin was something. So I, I didn't resolve it. So thoughts of ruin for anyone who doesn't know it, it is from Saviors of Kamigawa. Thank you, Brian Tinsman. And uh, Saviors of Kamigawa, as with many of Brian Tinsman's sets, um, contains a theme that has nothing to do with the other themes in the block. In this case, it was the cards in hand theme. So this card is. Two colorless, red, red, sorcery. Each player sacrifices a number of lands equal to the number of cards in your hand, which is really easy to keep high if you're playing Renin Six. Because Renin Six is effectively drawing you an extra card every turn if you have a fetch land. So on turn four, it is not uncommon for that card to deal, like to kill as many lands as Wildfire, four, maybe even five. Um, but then you have Renin Six in place, so you just start rebuilding. Um, so, uh, that was a last minute addition to that deck. It did not, uh, I, I didn't really get to test it all that much. Um, but I would love an excuse to revisit this deck. I just, it, it just, as, uh, as Dave said, this deck really trips my trigger and I, I can't exactly put, uh, a number on, on exactly why, but there's just something about this that I just, I adore it. Um, and so, uh, it's, it's interesting. And then a, a few of the other choices, uh, we're trying to bone crusher giants instead of, um, anger of the gods. So there's, there's lots of cool crunchy choices to be made here. Um, that said, uh, also, uh, I just looked over on the red, white prison and taxes group. Um, they have an updated version of one of their deck lists. Although I will look through their options, um, because I know other people in that, uh, discord have other lists. Um, this deck is a very mid-range red-white deck that is, again, playing heavily into that mana denial angle. Um, it's playing Boom Bust, Pillage, and Molten Rain. Um, playing Magus of the Tabernacle, which is uh, three and a white for a 2-6. And it says all creatures have, at the beginning of your upkeep, a sacrifice this creature unless you pay one. Uh, that is uh, Tabernacle at Pendril Vale, which is a land from, uh, from Legacy and Vintage. 
that gets a lot of play in those formats. Uh, this deck is even playing Suppression Field. Now this is a wild prison piece to play in Modern. Uh, it's a one and a white for an enchantment that says activated abilities cost two more to play unless they're mana abilities. This includes Fetchlands and Planeswalkers. It is really mean. Um, yeah. Yeah. And um, I... I uh, Next week, we were considering the topic of visiting these taxes decks in a dedicated way because there are a number of ways that I could imagine um, exploring these. But I love the idea of these like more prisony decks where like the focus of the deck um, is is locking your opponent out and uh, winning is sort of you, you'll you'll win once you've locked them out, but locking them out is the sort of primary. Um, whereas the taxes decks tend to mix a lot more aggression. Um, with with their taxing slash prison sort of mana denial aspects. Yeah, yeah. these all look pretty sweet. And uh, I feel like you guys have both touched on things that I am also interested in. Um, you know, I really love the, the Assault uh, Loam Shell. That was something that I spent a lot of time working on uh, many, many months ago before Faithless Looting was banned. Um, but I like the idea of jamming that into a, a more prison-like shell. And I think that we've got some cool new toys with Zendikar Rising. Um, so there's some new land destruction and mana denial cards. Cleansing Wildfire and Confounding Conundrum are an interesting pair in particular. Um, maybe there's something there with like an is it list. Uh, a lot of the land destruction spells out there allow the person who had their land destroyed to go pick up another land, but if you have Confounding Conundrum out, um, that will cause that land to be bounced back to hand, or a land to be bounced back to hand when it comes into play. So that seems like that could be an interesting little setup. Um, you could also play cards like Boomerang, Cryptic Command, which can uh, bounce lands in addition to serving secondary purposes. Um, but, you know, that's just a, a very loose, loose idea right now. Uh, would need some good threats to back it up, right? Um, if you're kind of playing that tempo game where you're trying to keep people off of mana, you really need to have something to do while they're stumbling. Uh, so that's going to take a little bit more thought. Um, I've also uh, really enjoyed some of the prison cards that green has to offer. Uh, so I played a mono green control deck that was popularized by Reddit user Dayuil. Um, he wrote a primer for it uh, and updated the primer a couple of times on the modern subreddit. Um, but that was looking to land an early Trinisphere and then follow it up with a Primal Command and Eternal Witness uh, to buy back the Primal Command. And what you end up doing is putting a land on top of the opponent's deck and it keeps them off of both mana and their draw steps. Um, and so that was, that was pretty cool. Uh, it was really neat when it came together. But uh, at least at the time that I was playing it, there was enough interaction running around that I felt like my mana dorks kept dying, and it was just really, really hard to get the Trinisphere down and the loops set up before they had built some sort of board presence. Um, so, you know, it's uh, maybe time to take another peek at that and see what new tools have been printed. Um, I haven't really played the deck since Karn, the great creator, was released, but I know that that is something that they've adopted. They, uh, they have a pretty lively Discord, um, so if that sounds interesting, you should, uh, you should find a link to that. Um, and then 
just kind of going off into some weirder, deeper places. I have always really liked the card Cinder Vines. I don't think it's enough on its own to form a prison deck. Um, dealing one damage for casting a spell isn't huge unless you're playing against something like Storm. But, uh, you know, I would like to try and find a way to jam Cinder Vines into a list somewhere. Um, so maybe taking a look at that uh, Assault Loam shell or something. Um, I actually was, uh, right before we started recording, looking at um, Nahiri's Lithoforming, which allows you to self-sacrifice your own lands and then draw that many cards. Um, and we have a number of cards and effects that actually want you to have lands in the graveyard now. So we got the new Cavalier, I think was in M20, uh, Cavalier of Flames will deal damage based on the number of lands in your graveyard. We also got, uh, I believe it's called Ruination Rioter, the red-green 2-2 from Modern Horizons that will also deal damage when it dies based on the number of lands in your graveyard. Um, and so I'm kind of wondering if there's maybe something there where you can... Uh, you know, just look to get a bunch of lands in your own graveyard and then uh, set up a turn where you just destroy the opponent you know maybe you fling your ruination rioter at them and then you know it deals a bunch of damage because you have a, a bunch of lands in the graveyard uh maybe you set it up with a seismic assault so you've managed to do a little chip damage before you have a bunch of lands in the graveyard um it could also maybe work well with your spell that forces players to sacrifice lands based on the number of lands in hand um, you know, uh, sacrifice your own lands with Nahiri's uh, Lithoforming so you have nothing left to sacrifice, but that also allows you to play as many lands as you sacrifice that turn. So you get to draw a bunch of cards, you can replay your lands, you just need to have some floating mana to cast your spell. Thoughts of Ruin, baby, let's go! Thoughts of Ruin week, let's, let's make it spike. <laughs> yeah. And then the last thing that uh, I will probably abuse myself by doing is looking into playing a Doom Foretold list in Pioneer. So I've played one of these before. It felt like it was like a turn too slow. Um, but, it, you know, that was, I don't know, months ago. There's probably been two new sense, sets printed since then, so I think it's worth looking at what new tools have come out and see if I can find a way to speed that up a little bit. Maybe this will be the thing that makes me like Pioneer a little bit more. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> no, there, there's definitely a, some kind of top-tier Esper pile of removal deck that exists, so... You know, there, there's there's definitely a stepping off point for that. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Well, I think we're getting pretty tight here on time, so uh, maybe we should uh, call it there for this week. And um, I don't know. You want to uh, you want to uh, lead us out there, Zach, with some bumps and dumps. Time for some bumps and dumps, baby. Uh, I know what I'm bumping. I know what I'm dumping. But Arun, how how is your your bumper crop of tomatoes? You can't bump it again. What do you got? Oh yeah. Well, let's see. Uh, yeah, you know, bumping tomatoes is the easy way out. I'm definitely, you know, I would say this, but bumps again to us. You know, for third week. I think every, I do love this every two, the schedule every other week, and then you know, like a nice longer, like one and a half hour episode. I'm a big fan of that. Um, 
Let's see, bumps. I mean, I'm just bumped to Tide Hollow Scholar, you know, just like I'm really. That card has been well overperforming for me. Uh, yeah, it's fun card. Uh, let's see. I don't have too many dumps. Definitely dumps to Colligan's Command. I like, can't tell you how many times Colligan's Command has just absolutely wrecked my board state. It's Colligan's Command is probably my mortal enemy number one at this point. Corey Burkhart, Grixis Control. Oh, yeah. I actually. You better run. I played Corey Burkhardt at Grand Prix Portland in 6-1. I was on Cheerios. He was on Grix's control. What? I took a game off of him, and I was like, I, I got, you know, I mean, I was lucky as hell. I drew in my, in my, I had, I drew five of my eight uh, uh, Shrams and Pure Steels, which, you know, like, and so I took game one, and then I was pretty close. I just had to talk. I was one uh, gear per eighth grade away from just, like, winning. I had a couple turns to draw it in one of the other games, so... You know that was that was pretty brutal, but I mean, you know, can't can't expect to beat Grix Removal Dot Deck when you're playing Cheerios. Uh, but uh, yeah, just I don't know. Uh, without the tomatoes, just you bumps to bumps to nice weather. You know, I've been able to get out, walk, take long walks with the dog. Uh, you know, Portland's a very pretty city. Uh, yeah, you know, when you can breathe the air, it's nice, very nice to be able to go outside. Well, it's only getting cleaner, right? Uh, we hope so. What about you, Brian? What do you got? Uh, I'm going to give bumps to my uh, just under two-year-old son this week. Uh, <laughs> little dude is learning new words and is making all sorts of new sounds and is very clearly just like really starting to take in the world in a way that, you know, he, he was always kind of a little sponge but it's clear that he's just like he's so details oriented now he sees all sorts of little stuff that like how do how do your eyes pick this up um (laughs) and like he notices things you know you you say something once and you think that it's it's just gonna be like oh you you know I, i placated him i said this thing and then it's like oh no you established a pattern with that one thing and he is going to remember it uh, so, so bumps to him, um, and uh, I'm actually going to be going away uh, a week from today. Rented a little cabin in the middle of nowhere in the Sierras. Nice. Um, so bumps to getting away for a little bit. This will be hell yeah. Yeah, we're going to see some friends that we haven't seen for a while. Uh, we've been in strict quarantine now for a week, and we'll remain in strict quarantine until we leave because uh, one of our friends is immunocompromised. But it'll be good to see some friends. Going to play a little Paper Magic. So I'm really excited for that. Nice. That sounds wonderful. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm pumped. And then um, I'm going to say dumps to uh, bad air quality again. It came out of nowhere. Uh, there's now some fires up in uh, Sonoma County, I guess, um, Napa area, and uh, it's blowing down this way. So we went from totally fine air to uh, unhealthy air quality again overnight. Oh, yeah, definitely dumps. Yep. How about you, Zach? Well, big, big, huge dumps. I got to say, big, huge dumps in Arun. Maybe you can share some sympathy with me on this one. God freaking caramel man <laughs> caramel is the most frustrating thing to learn how to make oh my god oh it is such a hassle and you gotta be really careful um not cleaning it it's before you get to the point of cleaning it when you realize you screwed up the recipe and you have to 
pour a bunch of water into this burning hot sugar without scorching yourself or ruining your pan um, because if you don't do it properly you're going to have basically solid sugar that is fully fused to the metal but gosh darn it i eventually got there it took five failed Woo! attempts but on the sixth try i managed to make caramel and so big bumps to the wonderful world of the internet where you can find out how to make all sorts of things and i figured out um my own recipe for a pumpkin spice syrup with no pumpkin Ooh. actually in it, figured out how to make pumpkin juice, figured out how to make caramel syrup so I can fully homemade replicate um, in pieces and in whole uh, the Starbucks uh, uh, pumpkin spice syrup with which I can make amazing pumpkin spice sodas, <laughs> cocktails, martinis, you name it. I got it all together. We're going to make some crazy, crazy bucks and but also like I learned a lot of about, uh, about this sort of chemistry of these different things. So uh, I'm usually you know I'm a terrible baker. I'm not not terrible, but I'm just very limited. Good cook, but terrible baker, or limited. And uh, but I'm learning, getting over my confectionery um, fear, and uh, it's gonna be one heck of a fall season. I will say that uh, homemade caramel syrup is Yum. is delicious. I could not believe it. Candy's hard, man. <laughs> Candy's hard. And I learned to make orgeau in the last couple of weeks, which is an almond syrup, which is really easy to to uh, to make. But uh, it also invi- involved having to go into a store and say, uh, can you show me where your nut milk bags are? <laughs> which is one of my favorite sentences I've ever had to ask a little old lady. <laughs> and then have her enthusiastically tell me, oh, yes, I know where the nut milk bags are. Get your nut milk in bags up in Canada, huh? Oh. (laughs) Nut milk bags, man. So you can make your own almond milk, cashew milk, I don't know, peanut milk. I don't know what kind of milks that I'm going to be getting from my little little nut um, udders, (laughs) doing little little tiny squeezings with little tweezers or whatever. But uh, that's that's how we're doing it. That's how we're doing it. We're homesteading. We're getting ready for the potential apocalypse. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah, man. So uh, best of luck to you guys in your brewing. Have uh, have fun at the cottage, Brian. And I guess uh, we'll be back in uh, oh before you know it. Oh yeah. Time time is fake news. That's right. Take care. See you. Have a good one, guys. Thanks for listening to episode three of the Serum Visions podcast. If you like what we do and want to get in touch with us, you can find us at twitter.com slash serumvisionsmtg and follow us to see screenshots of awesome autumnal offerings or our opponents giving us some salty suggestions. You can also reach us at serumvisionspod at gmail.com. Until next time, happy brewing, stewing, playing, and chewing.
Well, that was like the most asynchronous tap I've ever seen. <laughs>